Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows brings in much-requested characters from the franchise in an attempt to harken back to the classic animated series. But after the previous film, is this enough to win over long-time Turtles fans? Welcome everyone to The Collector's Cut. I am Peter and joining me as always is David. That's Officer David, and one day I'm gonna be a detective. Uh, what's that voice? I mean, I, 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 I can hear the, like, the, what sort of type of voice you're doing from another movie. Yeah. But why have you selected that voice for Stephen Amell? <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of everyone in New York is just that voice to uh, me. Okay. Okay. Good. To, good to know. Uh, yeah. We are here today. This is a movie podcast, of course. We have been working through the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movies. Uh, we've done the original three. We did the 2014 one. This is the sequel to the 2014 movie. This is Teenage, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. So that's what we're going to talk about. We'll start spoiler-free as we always do. We'll give you warning mm-hmm. before we get to spoilers. But this was the, the big sequel to the 2014 yep. movie because it made enough money to get one. Uh, yep. Of course, there's no third one. So you could, that'll tell you what you need to know about the success of this. To be fair, I looked through the box office of it, and I think it was like a hundred and thirty-five million uh, budget and mm-hmm. a two hundred forty-five million return. So it wasn't awful, but it's, yeah, it's not a total bomb, but it's not profitable either. It's no, kind of skirting not. that line. Once you add on the marketing costs, that's skirting your your line. Plus, uh, there was no major Pizza Hut tie into this uh, one, so because yeah, yeah. uh, I assume the first one probably made more like four hundred million or something with like that. Eh, it's it's done. That was the last movie. I don't care anymore about it. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, this this movie brings in some some more characters from Turtles into it. Bebop, Rocksteady, even brings in Krang and the idea of the Technodrome, which has not been done in any of the movies up until this point. So this movie, I I'm pretty sure the writers, the director, some producer behind the scenes, someone was a major fan of the original cartoon. It was just like, hey, the first movie set it up. This movie, we're taking out all the toys. <laughs> we're bringing them all in. Uh, there's a little bit of that attitude. Uh, I, I feel that as well. Uh, there's mm-hmm. even like a little, like the the horn on their truck is a little riff of the the, yeah. the animated series theme, uh, which the also in a half show, which also has a new version of it playing over the end credits. I enjoyed that immensely. That was a nice that, surprise. It was. What's funny, actually, this was a year before the uh, the new Power Rangers movie came out, which sadly wasn't a success, because I actually quite enjoyed it, to be honest, for what it was. Yeah. Um, but that similarly had like a sort of uh, new version of the, the old theme, uh, and it, mm. it kind of was a bit of a great moment when it played in the movie. So, um, obviously, we tore the last one to shreds because it was trash. Um <laughs> I, I was a little more positive on it than you, but we still came down around a five to three rating. Yeah, so yeah, last one wasn't good. Uh, I'd heard good. Like, I hadn't seen this before. I'd heard at the time it was a little better than the first one. Not necessarily worth you know changing your mind over or going out to see, but it is a mm-hmm. little better. Uh, so we'll see if that holds true uh, with their feelings here. Um, yeah. I won't give a premise because, you know, Shredder's back, the Technodrome and Crying are a threat that might be coming in, Bebop and Rocksteady are made. Yep. That's the premise, that's all you really need to know. We'll get into all the all the intricacies of the plot uh, a little bit later in spoilers. David, how did you feel about 
Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Well, I do fully agree with the sentiment of it's better than the last one. Mm. I do think that this one, it had a much... I don't want to say lighter attitude, but it's just more fun. It's a more easygoing experience. Um, one of the major criticisms I had last time is the fact of it just felt like a generic action movie and the turtles happened to be in it. This one felt focused on the turtles. It felt like it was significantly their movie and the plot worked for them rather than in spite of them. So in general... I would probably say I like it in the same way that I like mm, one of the original ones. I, I won't say specifically which one yet, but oh. it's on par with one of the original ones. Yeah, uh, I would also agree with the sentiment that it's a bit better than the last one. It still has a lot of the same problems, and I hate how the turtles look, right? Because they look mm. the same. They're still, they're still those. Uh, I feel like there was a mild alteration to their face. I can't place it, but they do just seem a little bit closer. I think their, like, snouts got extended just a little <laughs> okay. bit. Just a tiny bit. Okay. But the general look, I'm still not particularly fond That's of. That's fair. Um, mm. And it still has that that problem where, because we're a mid, you know, 2010s big-budget blockbuster, we have to go... Mm absurdly over the top for some of the the big spectacle action scenes oh yeah you know we still have that thing there's a there's a plane sequence in this uh, it goes into a, eventually ends up into a river sequence which was very reminiscent of the the snowy mountain sequence in the last movie mm-hmm. and i kind of had the same like oh this is just a bit too much and joey joey know where i what, where i know this feels like too much is that this property was created in comic books and then became yep. a hit in a cartoon and you know when the movies are going too far just for the, the sake of going too far is because a comic book and a cartoon are not limited in the same way that live action is. Like, yeah. you know, a comic book and a cartoon could do the biggest, most grandiose spectacle thing that they wanted just if they felt like it because it's just drawn mm-hmm. anyway. So, you, you know, let your imagination run wild. But it never was, really. Not, not to the extent that these movies are doing it. So that's how I know yeah. that this is like going above or, or shifting away from what it feels right in terms of a turtle's you know action scene or whatever. But you've got that problem still. Um, mm-hmm. But the one thing I'll agree with what you just said there is that the plot does focus on the turtles. They, both in the sense that it focuses on them as a team and how they're dealing with each other and some breakdown that happens and sort of reforming and sort of you know making their bond stronger. Uh, and also just the general idea that the movies about this conflict that they have, and they all feel differently about it, is, you know, hiding and not being able to sort of live out in the real world. And, you know, are we, are the humans going to fear us? Are we ostracized for what we look like? Should we change who we are? Uh, mm. And, you know, is it right that we should have to change who we are to fit in? Like, potentially, I think there's like a really strong story there. I don't think this movie actually does a great version of it but it is the the, the bare bones of it are there like the bare bones yeah. of the idea are there so at least that that's something that's something the last movie didn't have oh yeah absolutely uh one thing i do want to really point out this isn't really too much into spoilers or plots but one thing that is recurring in this movie is we can't be seen yeah. and they specifically make the point throughout like oh well nighttime is turtle time and during the day we have to hang out in the sewers did they watch the last movie? <laughs> did they did they remember the fact that the entirety of the plot well, happened just it, in broad daylight? You say that, but as far as forgetting things from the last movie goes, even the fact that the Shredder's just alive in this, I'm like, 
The Shredder's not even the same dude. Well, he's definitely the Shredder's just the yeah. yeah. But like, and, but like they didn't even make him try to look the same. No. He was just a totally different dude. But like the fact that Shredder's just alive with no explanation, I'm like, are you just ignoring like the ending? I I told you at the end of that movie, his finger touched the ooze, and <laughs> that's enough. Okay, 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 mm-hmm. right. Um, so and I will say some. I don't hate the design of everything in this. I still hate how the turtles look. I do mm-hmm. think Bebop and Rocksteady look fine. It's, you know, they're, they're yeah. faithful enough as far as a big sort of CG version of them goes. Um, I think Krang, I would say, even looks pretty good. I kind of like the design of Krang in this. Um, I have, I did look at some of the cartoon yeah, art for sure. these people, because again, I'm not familiar with Turtles as you are. Um, I think they did a good job, especially for Bebop and Rocksteady. I think that they, it, it was the thing of when they made the Turtles, we made the criticism that they added too much. Yeah. They made them just, they didn't slim down the design enough. I felt that they slimmed down the designs for Bebop and Rocksteady. They only gave them a couple little extra flares here and there, yeah, but for the, the most part, they the were shades, just the cartoons. You know, the Mohawk, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I think Crying, like, don't get me wrong, would I have loved to have seen a practical version of Crying, which is like, because that's the whole thing, Crying's like this, like, sort of brain, de- you know, animal mm-hmm. thing. Uh, it's like a talking brain that lives inside a sort of big tall robot and i think yeah there's there's definitely a good practical version of that where you get animatronics for the, the puppet head in the middle and then the robot just right. sort of stomps around you could totally have done crying made it work in the old live action movies with practical effects but i think krang's general attitude his sliminess he looked you know the, the actual brain part looked great it looked exactly how mm-hmm. it really should and the big imposing robot i think worked him using the robot in various ways I think, honestly, I think they kind of nailed Krang, right? I wish yeah. it was in a better movie where I like the turtles in it, but <laughs> but they kind of nailed Krang. Here's what I will uh, say, though. Casey okay. Jones sucks. Okay, so Casey Jones, played by Stephen Amell in this movie. He sucks. Um, here, okay, here's where I think <laughs> this went wrong. They mm. cast him specifically for his role on Arrow. Because what else are they going to honestly be casting him for? So they cast him because they're like, oh, vigilante, kind of violent, kind of couple mental things. Like, yeah, he he can play that role. But then when they were writing him, they forgot to do that. Like at all. Point point being, he's a cop. (laughs) Like that goes against what I feel everything that I know about Casey Jones is, is that He's a cop. That's no longer a vigilante. That's a cop. They're kind of going for this. Like, he wants to be a detective. He's stuck doing just, like, you know, prison transfers and shit. And it's Mm -hmm. when he's, like, sort of, like, put on leave. It's kind of when the badge is taken away is when the cop finally is able to do so. I feel like they were almost kind of going for that. It's like, this makes it more believable. He just happens to be a hockey fan who will still try and, like, solve the case afterwards. But, like, it does that kind of thing where he only wears the mask in one scene. And it even kind of mm-hmm. pokes fun at the mask, and then he never wears it again. And it kind of felt like they were ashamed of what Casey Jones is, and just wanted to not do it. Like, yeah, yeah. He'll, he'll use a. And in fact, I think see towards the end, and this is not going to spoilers. I think mm-hmm. in, in the big third act stuff, he's only using a bit of metal that's vaguely shaped like a hockey stick. I don't think it's actually a hockey stick. No, it's like a steel girder or something like that. Yeah. But you said that they strayed away from Casey Jones again, not trying to spoil too much. But in that third act. They specifically go out of their way to allow him to have skates. 
which seems more like leaning into it than straying away. It's just they pick and choose what they really want to do here. Well, I, yeah, no, like they stray away, and the only thing they keep is the fact that he likes hockey, and that's what yeah. the skates is a reference to. Um, but like, I mean, honestly, everything else is gone. Yeah, going back to the first movie, though. I mean, did Casey Jones really wear his mask for that much of the first movie either? I mean, he always seemed to want to put it back on. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fair. It, you, in this movie, it's something he does on a whim, and then he kind of leaves it behind, and it's never brought up again. You know, it's. I mean, to be fair, it is just a complete difference of setting. In the first movie, that's his vigilante gear. Yeah. In this movie, it's what he does on Saturday nights. Like, it's just, he doesn't see that as his costume. But he like, just happened to be wearing it. But he literally is just wearing, like, it looks too neat and clean. Like, Casey Jones. Oh, yeah. No. Like, the fact he has short hair, I'm just like, hmm, okay. He, well. I mean, he, let's face it. He looks like, uh, he just looks like Stephen O'Mell. <laughs> it's like yeah. Stephen O'Mell just walked up in his own wardrobe and they just handed him a mask and a hockey stick. That's yeah. that's what he is in this. And uh, I'm, I'm not... I'm not opposed to the way that he played it. I think that he played it fine. There were moments where he went a little bit more unhinged. I just don't like how they wrote it. I think that for the most part, they tried to make Casey by the books. They tried, they made him a cop. That's really what it comes down to is that all this characterization, all the zaniness and craziness that Casey is, there's only so far that he can get while being a cop. I think not only does he feel not like Casey Jones, not just because they sort of shy away from the vigilante side of it and they completely change his character into being a cop, um, yeah. but I think you also have the awkward part, which we kind of all saw coming into this, is that, and it's not there really that much, but they do, of course, by the end sort of go, oh, there's an attraction between him and uh, April. And honestly, like they have no chemistry. I felt <laughs> nothing between them whatsoever. So when there was like one flirty line right at the very end, I just kind of felt yeah. like, eh, this feels really forced. Like, I mean, they were left by themselves for all of what? Two scenes, including that last one where they get flirty? Something like that, yeah. They're like, there's not a lot of... In and part of this is maybe just too many character syndrome where there's just yeah. not enough time to deal with everyone that you've got in the cast. Mm -hmm. Um... And, you know, the turtles should be the focus. I'm glad it focuses more on them because that's what it should be focusing on. Um, mm -hmm. But there's definitely, you know, like, like Baxter Stockman's here, played by Tyler Perry, and he's just kind of there to serve his plot function. Him as a character is kind of meaningless. He's, you know, he... I, I guarantee you if this one got a third movie, he'd be the focus of the third Oh, movie. sure, he'd probably... Or at least a much larger role. He'd probably mutate, yeah, uh, in the yeah. third one. Uh, mm -hmm. Very lately, that's for, mm -hmm. for sure. But... But again, that's kind of a problem as well. That's the Amazing Spider-Man 2. We have to put all the seeds in for all these movies that we think we're going to be able to make, but yep. they don't really serve a purpose in this movie beyond just being a seed. And it's okay to have a seed for a future movie, uh, mm -hmm. especially when it's just a direct sequel, but like it has to weave in naturally. It has to feel like... It has to It has to work in the plot that you have yeah, now. For sure. So, yeah, but... I, but to, to be fair to it, there's a central idea that the turtles are conflicted about this having to hide and wanting to have something resembling a normal life. They conflict over it between themselves. Um, like, the bare bones of uh, some sort of story for the main characters is in there, and that was something that was sorely lacking in the last one. So yeah. on that on that face value, it is definitely better, and there's points where they're, they're, you know, they're doing all, fighting all the crying stuff in the third act, and I was like, you know what? This is actually verging on kind of fun at points, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's it, it, the, the sad part is, is that the turtle's not looking right and some of the voices not sounding right. Fundamentally, it's just kind of too much of a, 
a wrench in the works to ever make it really click together. But there's there's points where it's like I can this is almost feeling like a fun turtles movie. Almost. Right. It's almost getting there and it's just not quite hitting it. So in this movie, where would you say the voice is faltered? Uh Mikey still annoys me. I don't like Mikey's voice Mikey. in the, these That's two fair. movies. I, I think he's he's too much of a a very specific caricature, I think, versus just sounding mm. like Michelangelo. Um Yeah. You know, so I, I think that really sticks out to me. He's got this thing early on where he's introducing all the turtles and there's like canned laughter playing over it. And this is why these moments yeah. where I wouldn't say the bad jokes are as consistent as the first one, but there's definitely still moments of it like this where I'm, this is just cringy. Stop it. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, that scene you're referencing there, it was definitely the scene of, okay, for all you parents who didn't bring your kids to see the first one, <laughs> <Yeah>. here's <laughs> here's who we need to know. Yeah, oh, there's one point as well where uh, Casey says the turtles have really pretentious names, and they just have to remind us. But have April go? Excuse me, I named them. I'm like, mm-hmm. piss off! <laughs> don't don't bring this up, you bastard. Remember, this is in canon. Also, can I can I just say right? There's a, there's a kind of a weird plot hole in these movies because they show how good Splinter is all the time. Why is Splinter not going out and helping with saving the world? He's clearly extremely capable with that tale. Look, look, look. <laughs> Turtles can be forgiven. They can be cute in some some situations here. Mm. Rats are just off the table. Okay, if there's a giant okay. rat that comes out of the sewers in New York, it will be shot. <laughs> I just... I just because in the old movies, and I think generally Splinter sort of like has a cane, and it's this idea that he's kind of like an old wise man, sort of like mm. samurai, like master or whatever, or ninja. And I feel like in these two movies, they just show that Splinter, no, he's like a complete badass who can just like take out anyone with his tail. And I'm like, just bring him with you. He's clearly invaluable. I guess it's kind of the sort of thing of in like Batman comics when they make alfred somewhat of a badass when they show Mm. he's capable of handling himself in a fight it's like okay but then why isn't why isn't alfred out there doing something and the answer is the other ones are just more capable or they're more open to doing it i guess because yeah you're right slinter is more capable in this situation it seems especially because he's the one who taught them and they haven't really surpassed their master at any point that's never been something we focused on in Batman, one Alfred is at least a fairly old dude, typically, so, like, there is that, but yeah, there's no arguments from anyone that Batman has surpassed Alfred in ability, and he always, you know, ever since yeah. he's come back from his trip, he is a better fighter than Alfred, right? He's not as wise oh, as Alfred, you know, Alfred's a wise dude, and that's, you mm-hmm. know, something he should he- adhere to, but absolutely, like, yeah. Uh, Another positive point, I didn't necessarily love it, but I do think that the music felt a lot more... Like, they actually had, like, a sort of fanfare in this one that I noticed, yeah. which was nice. I, I noticed in this one they actually used some licensed songs pretty much constantly throughout. They they had the fanfare for the big moments, but, like, there was Vanilla Ice at one point, and I was like, oh, hey! That was a cute reference, I'll give it that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and there, there was just a few more scattered throughout of, like, when they're doing the heist scene... Uh, in the middle of the movie, they, I forget what song they used, but they specifically used like a song that was licensed. And yeah. I'm like, okay, so they're building up an actual, like the older movies, a soundtrack here, an actual. Which, yeah, I think, because um, I noticed that Steve Jablonski did the music and he did the music for all the Transformers movies. And honestly, mm. one of the best parts of those movies is the score. Like, because it's, mm. you know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a bit Hans Zimmer light, but if you like Hans Zimmer, then you're 
you're having yeah. a good time. Uh, there is a couple of moments though where there's like a, a heavy drum beat that sounded very Terminator-esque. Though I was noticing <laughs> the first time they like drive their truck out into the world, uh, yeah. there was like a dun 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 dun, and I was like, "This is okay. This is veering a bit close to something else here, guys. Come on, let's uh, reel it in a little bit." But if it works, it works. It's it. The whole reason yeah. that it's used is that it instills that certain feeling in you. Yeah. Uh, so. You know, faintest of praise, because I, I still think, while it's better, and there's like a functional story in the middle that should is, is and definitely in theory, if not in practice, a very strong story to tell about the turtles, it's still wrapped up in a lot of crap. It's still wrapped up in the modern over-CG, over, overly, you know, yeah. everything in the kitchen sink blockbuster. And there's not quite the blue beam in the sky, but there is a vortex in the, in the third act. I, was, I, I wasn't sure if we were doing that pre-spoilers. Vortex. Yeah, no. I, I don't think I'm spoiling that. There's a vortex. <laughs> it is. It is. I was just waiting for it because they, they activate the machine thing and then all of a sudden New York, like, shudders. Like, there's yeah, a yeah. whole yeah, yeah, yeah. quiet across the city and I'm like, okay, just show the beam already. Get it over with. <laughs> this, it's... it's, it's it, Honestly, I already like, noticed this obviously years ago, but like the more and more of these movies that I didn't see from like the last decade that have mm. some of these same tropes, I'm like, oh my, I'm like, can we please just never do any of these things again? Because oh yeah, no, and like, I'm done. I don't understand completely non sequitur here. Why are they always blue? I don't know. Like it, it's not even, if you want to do the plot point of oh, there's a big space beam laser in the sky. Fine, whatever, do it, but. It's always blue. Do you know what's weird about that? Is that the sky is blue? You would think making it red or something would A, indicate danger, because red's the yeah. danger color, and also yeah. it would contrast with the sky a bit more. No. Nope. <laughs> blue is the color of space science. Do you know what? I think that's what it is. I think it's because blue is the color of energy, so they always, like, mm. you know, at least we associate blue with energy. I'm not saying energy is literally yeah, blue, yeah. but we associate blue with electricity, so therefore mm. anything that's, like, energy-based, that's, you know, a lot of energy has been used to open this vortex or whatever, yeah. so it always has to be blue. That's that's stupid. You can, you are literally making stuff up. You can just explain <laughs> it as any other color. It doesn't even need to be explained. No one's going to question why it's green or purple or yellow or... See, you say that, but I guarantee someone, like, they made it, like, yellow at one point, and someone's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> why is it yellow? Because the energy that powers it is a yellow crystal. All right, shut up, then. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> um, but yeah, going back to what you were saying with the CG, yeah, I, I agree that this movie, especially once it gets into the third act... It's just an animated movie at that point. Practically, like yeah. it, it, it's there's there's a couple little cutaways and stuff to other plots that involve our real play people, but once you get to the turtles in the third act, it's just an animated movie. Uh, can I also point out that aside from a little bit towards the end, Shredder's just walking about in a black like suit. Yeah, he's, he's got no outfit in this movie. Really, they really seem to be against masks in this movie. Mm. In general, everyone gets to show their face the whole time. Yeah, it's it's so weird because even when he eventually does put like a helmet on that's kind of shredder shaped, and I was like, oh, thankfully, finally they've just done this because it was just weird mm. having him walk around with his head out the whole time. Is I thought, do you know what this looks like to me? Because it's all black, including the helmet. I thought this is kind of like uh, like what they, they keep doing with Batman movies is that like, they're so scared to have the gray or like any other oh, color yeah. that it's just like they have to do, but. It makes at least some like I never complain about it too much with Batman, even though I would love to have like a proper grey and black suit or a grey and blue suit, just because yeah. 
okay, he's supposed to be stealthy in the night, blah, blah. At least makes some yeah. sense. And you can kind of argue that for Shredder as well, since he's technically a ninja. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it just it really stuck out to me, like, because of all the extra, like, pointed bits. I'm like, ah, this is, like... They they did, however, hear your complaint, and mm. this is no longer Super Shredder. This is that's just true, yeah. normal guy Shredder. Well, that's why I was thinking he didn't have a suit, because uh, the movie's logic was that was his Shredder suit, so now he doesn't have that anymore. Uh, mm. But they did eventually give him a Shredder-esque helmet by the, by yeah. the end. But okay, I mean, though. they had to. They If they want to sell the Shredder toy, they eventually have to put him in the mask. That's very true. And there is definitely a quality to this where you can kind of feel them like putting more products that can be toys in it. I mean, that's why the, the, oh, the yeah. truck is there. Even though they introduced the van that was more accurate to the cartoon at the end Thank of the you. last movie, and they never bring it up. <laughs> I was sitting there the whole time, and I was like, okay, all right, we're going to the van. No, what the hell is that? And then I realized, like, oh, right, all the kids bought the van from the last movie. We got to get them to buy a new thing from this movie. Oh, it's maddening. It's yep. mad. You almost feel like that's the reason why Casey even wears the mask in one scene. It's just so there can be a toy with the, oh, the yeah. Casey mask. That's it. That's the only reason. Posable Casey Jones action figure with or without hockey stick. <laughs> yeah. Um. Actually, well, I, I think it's a spoiler talk. I can still bring this up. Is uh, the truck mm-hmm. itself? Um, obviously it does various things. I remember from the trailer it shows the, the, the fire and the manhole covers. I will say yeah. there is one or two abilities this truck has that I do think is a bit too over the top. And like the, the idea yeah. that Donatello built some of these things is a, just a bit nonsense. And See, I thought I thought the same thing, but I wasn't sure how much of it was pulling straight from the cartoon. I, I, like The giant arms with nunchucks... I do not remember ever seeing in any way, shape, or form. And that, and I know people could say, but it's Ninja Turtles. Like, is anything really too ridiculous? Well, yeah, because this, this, I don't know. Like, there's, there's, there's the, the box of believability within the confines of the premise. And then there's just doing this. Yeah, <laughs> and, you know, I, So. By the way, I found a Casey Jones, Stephen Amell action figure on eBay for 22 bucks with removable hockey stick and mask. So Removable mask. So it's, it's, it's authentic to the movie. Yep. I want to see what he looks like without it, though, but they're all in packaging. That's How close a, does it look to Stephen Amell? The collectors all, always have to sell in packaging. Yep. That's their Fair thing. <laughs> Gotta be signed in packaging, all the rest of it. Uh... All right. Anything else? Yep. Pre-spoilers. <laughs> Anything else we want to talk about? I, I think it's spoilers time. I'll, I'll just mention Laura Linney's in this, just because it's, it's a random proper actress just in a role. <laughs> And honestly, I feel like she's one of the weakest parts. I, I think I, I definitely think it's her fault, though. I think the character is just... Oh, yeah, absolutely. The character is just so undercooked. She's there to serve one purpose, and mm. it's a thankless role that she... You know, she, I'm sure she's getting a pay... She's the Whippy Goldberg of this movie. She gets a few scenes... Oh, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's it, you know? She gets royalties from all the times that they're going to re-release this movie, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, obviously well Arnett's back as well and his character's yep. got a fairly fun follow-up to what he was in the last yeah. one let's see i i think i wonder i mean we'll get to it but i wonder how late into production that happened because it's not relevant to any of the plots really it's just kind of hey how do we explain the first movie and not have the turtles be revealed yeah, no, I don't think it's late in the production or anything like that. I think it was always planned this way. I think they at least were smart enough to realize 
that he just like, there's too many characters to have him be a major character for the first like half of the movie so he, he yeah, becomes more into it as the movie goes on but mm-hmm. um I, I think that was just a smart choice and there's very few things yeah. in this i'm going to call a smart choice but i'll, I'll <laughs> say that was a uh well yeah i won't say smart smart's too strong it was a acceptable choice <laughs> put that on the box <laughs> it was a reasonable choice uh anyway yeah let's get into spoilers because I, right. I have thoughts i have things to say um the the movie starts with the fanfare and the turtles are going across the skyscrapers i don't know why they're obsessed with the turtles being like really batman-esque with the jumping around skyscrapers yeah. but yeah there's a lot of that going on uh mikey gets a lot more use out of his rocket powered skateboard there's a lot of that in this movie as well so mm-hmm. look out for that um but they're they're on their way. So this is just the, the openings playing out as they're they're you know they're talking, they're going across the rooftops, and they're going to a next game. They they specifically make a joke very early on, like first thing in the movie, which I thought almost set a bad tone. Was they say, "All right, everyone, ready? Turtle formation!" And they jump off a size skyscraper, and they all end up colliding with each other because Mikey heard squirrel formation instead. And at that point, I thought that the jokes were like, oh, no, are we down an age group here? Is Are we going for, like, 10-year-olds now instead of the age that's going to find Megan Fox sexy? Uh, oh, we'll get to Megan Fox being sexy in a minute. I've got thoughts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, no, so they go to the next game, and they, they basically establish that they sneak into the top, and they're up in the uh, behind the big uh, Tron. You know, they're in the... the, the yep. You know, the, the, the jumbotron the, yeah the jumbotron so you know it's the four-sided thing so each side of the arena can see the the screen mm-hmm. and they're in the middle of that uh eating pizza they picked up a pizza on the way picked up a pizza from the kevin. creator of the turtles oh i actually didn't know what he looks like but they call him kevin which is his name so yep. that's nice oh okay cool little i don't think he's gotten a cameo in any of the turtles movies so yeah i'd say it's a shame it was this one but at least it wasn't the last one yeah <laughs> so you know i mean at least he got into one rather than waiting yeah. for the next one he'd be how like oh, i'll just get it in the third turtles movie how much do you think he like do you think he get paid for this and if so do you think it was a reasonable I mean, day rate he got paid for this because he wrote the characters and therefore gets royalties i know i know but like, do you think he got like a specific acting like paycheck for this probably not he didn't say a word it's probably in the level of like extra okay okay in terms of sag because I'm wondering, like, did Stan Lee get, like, a payday for, like, every time he... Well, Stan Lee had lines, so it's potentially possible that by SAG rules, he does end up making that, but... Well, no, I... I... I see, I remember there's... So there's two types of extra, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know when you cross the line from being extra into, like, a bit part, but I know that a non-speaking extra... And it's probably changed by now, but that's because this was, like, 2002 money. But right. at the time, it was, like... You can pay a non-speaking extra fifty dollars for the day, but if they speak, it goes all the way up to like a hundred and fifty. So, like you know, yeah. Like, so, so casting directors are really sort of like coy with making sure that they're keeping track of who's going to say anything for for keeping the budget in tow. Right. Um, it was something like that. Maybe I mean, the numbers may be slightly off, but it was something like that. It, it shoots up dramatically if you have a single word of dialogue. But I don't know when speaking extra becomes. You're not an extra anymore because you know when you think of a cameo, it, is, it does tend to just be one line or one yeah. quick bit. So uh, maybe the fact that he's a recognizable star at a certain point, when in Stanley's case, because people start recognizing him after a few movies, that it changes. I mean, I guess I guess I wonder whether or not the 
day rate is going to get anywhere near a drop in the bucket compared to the royalties rate. Oh, you know, I'm not saying the money matters. I'm just, I just think yeah. it's funny if for every movie he had the cameo in, Stan Lee got like a, a paycheck with the... I, I think it would be funnier if he was following up on it. If he's like, <laughs> I didn't get my 50 bucks. <laughs> hey, take care of the pennies, okay? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they go to yeah, next game and... There's a lot of other movies in this because this really, what was this reminding me? I think it was reminding me of like Home Alone Two when like Kevin's watching like the orchestra with the bird lady because she has like this bit at the top she sneaks into to watch the orchestra, right. okay, uh, or the choir or whatever it was. It was reminding hmm. me of that there was a lot of other things in this though that it was it was I'll, I'll bring them up as as we get to them and they remind me of what yeah, they were. That's but fine. there's definitely a few things in this that were making me think of other. There's a little bit of Ghostbusters. Uh, there's a little bit uh something else, but we'll, we'll get there. Um, okay. so Mikey drops a slice of pizza onto the court, which makes someone slip. Um, can I just ask something, right? Is this yeah. just like a product placement thing or do Americans actually say, refer to their sneakers as my Nikes? if something okay. happens to them? If you don't have Nikes, they're just your sneakers. But if you have Nikes or Jordans or Yeezys, you, you're a sneaker head and you care about that. Okay. You care about which one you have. Okay. Because I'm sure I, I had, don't. at some point in my life, a pair of... I mean, I would say Nike. That's just the way you say it in the UK. But <laughs> That's insanity. But okay. Nike and Adidas. I don't know. Do you say Adidas? Adidas. No, Adidas is right. Okay, okay. No, but some Nike Americans say Adidas. I've heard it's pronounced Adidas from some Those people. Americans are stupid. <laughs> so, anyway. like Pronunciations of some of these brands aside... Um, I yeah. don't think I would have ever referred to... I, mean, I wouldn't have called them sneakers. I'd have called them trainers, obviously. But... I mean, in in <laughs> fairness, these are sports stars where, you know, sneakers are a big thing. And they're paying them basketball. a lot of money to wear them, yeah. Yeah, so it is kind of a thing of like, how am I supposed to sell this after the game? It got pizza on it. <laughs> I mean, what, what are Nike supposed to do? Like, um, make shoes that are like pizza proof so you can't slip oh, no no it's it's not about the fact that the shoes failed it's the fact that the ref he was not going to call it as like a delay mm. of game he was just going to make it so they lose possession of the ball that's what he was upset about okay 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 so we're introduced to a vernon again here will arnett who is treated like royalty in the crowd because he is taking mm. credit for stopping shredder he was given the key to the city he's got some sort of supermodel sitting next to him and yep. he's been interviewed and talking about how he's a hero and all that um, and he's lapping it up. And Raph's annoyed, even though the rest of the turtles point out that we told him to take credit to, like, how he does. This is, yep. He's doing exactly what he told us to do. But then they decide to spit stuff at him instead. And because uh, Doritel's made, like, a super high-tech... Pea shooter? Pea shooter, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So... Did, you, did you mention his nickname that he gave himself? Oh, yes. Uh, Vernon the Falcon Fenwick. Yeah. I think that's the point. Like, even if I was in the turtle situation here, and I was like, "Look, you take you take full, uh, what's it full uh praise for this. You yeah. are the one who is entirely in charge of the situation here." But then, as soon as the person came around, just like, "Yeah, I'm the Falcon," I'd be like, "Okay, well, now you're just being an ass." <laughs> yeah, I suppose there was an expectation that he would be taking credit, but he'd be humble about it instead of yeah. like flaunting it as his new celebrity. I mean, later on in the movie, it's, just a, it's a throwaway scene, so I'll just mention it now. He's mm. filling up like bags with his breath to sell yeah. them for two hundred dollars each. Yep. Honestly, this it felt like he just became Joe Bluth. 
Like this was Joel Bluth. I know it's well yeah. on it, but this is just Joel Bluth. This is his character from Arrested Development. I can I can see Joel filling up bags of air to because he thinks they're worth something. Oh, absolutely. So I mean, he is definitely he has his wits still about him. He's not like a total idiot, but he is definitely drinking his own Kool Aid a little bit by the end. Ah, yes. Definitely. So, so we're then introduced to Shredder. Actually, no, no, no. We don't get to that first. First, we have to go to April. We find out what April's yep. doing next. April, mm-hmm. who, by the way, see at the very end of the movie, like she does like a, a a reporter bit where she's like talking on camera and talking about heroes of the city, blah blah. And yep. I legitimately, when that scene started, went, "Oh, you're still a reporter in this one." Right. Because it was never mentioned or brought up in any way, shape, or form that what her like. I mean, I know she's undercover in this first scene we meet her, but, like, mm-hmm. I didn't know that was for reporting's sake, because... Yeah, it seems like they really leaned hard into the investigative part, and they're like, oh, right, we also have to have them share the things they figure out. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> but she's in a blonde wig, and she's got, like, a sort of smart, like, suit or whatever on, because yeah. she's there to chat up Baxter Stockman. Uh, mm-hmm. Donnie's made like a hacking thing. She has to get within three feet to hack his phone or whatever, uh, yeah. or his tablet. And she goes up and nerds out over, oh my God, you're back to start. And at first he's like, oh no, you know, as much as I would like a pretty lady like you to know who I am. And then she says his name and like, because Donnie's just said about all of his prizes and yeah. stuff, she sort of impresses a bit on who he is and she's flirting. And he's like, oh, so there's not too much of this in this movie, but this was the scene that felt the most absurdly dated to me when he calls her, when, she sa- when he says, oh, you're a nerd. And she's like, no, I'm actually a geek, not a nerd. It's like the difference between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Like, I feel like that was a thing in the like, early 2000s, this debate of what a geek versus a nerd was. This movie came out in 2016. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a defense for it, but I felt <laughs> what you felt there. Where I was like, <laughs> it also, it just doesn't, I get that the point there is that she's still trying to endear herself to Baxter Stockman to try to stay close to him, but it just felt so out of place just as a whole conversation. Yep. It was just strange where it's like, because it's not even that she was prompted. She's like, oh, you're a nerd. And she could have just been like, yep. And then just kept the phone near her. But instead she goes on this whole thing of like, um, actually... And I was like, okay, is this really what April would do? Yeah, it felt like th- these lines were written by someone who... <sighs> it struck me as someone who had this in, like, their little notebook of, like, lines I really want to work into a movie. Mm. And they just they were like, oh, this is my chance. I have this one on page seven about the nerd versus geek argument. I don't even understand, it, like, the way it's presented in this either, though, because she says the difference between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings fans, and I'm like, no, I'd put them both in the same camp i think i feel like i i the way i've always understood it is that geeks can be for anything it's just about being really into that one thing whereas mm-hmm. nerds it's typically more stem stuff of math and stuff like that that's how i've always established it yeah yeah but i feel like nerd has become just synonymous with like be, you know being into fandoms you know it's yeah you know, you're just a it's, sort of it's just nerd. absorbed geek yeah. now very so. much, yeah. Geek's not even really used anymore. That's a good point. Like, Nerds yeah. just kind of replaced it in every way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. Which is fine. I don't really care. Whatever. But yeah, this, this, just this point she brings up really stuck out as a really dated argument. Uh, but that's yeah. not even the, the part of this scene that, that, that bothers me so much. Uh, mm. Because, so, so, Stockman's got a henchman who comes up and says something to him, and Stockman's like, 
I am entertaining a lady. But here, take my tablet away. So this henchman walks away with a tablet, and it's not enough time for April to finish her, her transfer of data. So right. she immediately just tells Baxter, uh, I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> and... <laughs> I have a boyfriend. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. Oh, and Baxter's got this really weird, annoying laugh that he does. He does. I... I... I feel like it has to be intentional. It has to be Tyler Perry purposely did oh, that yeah. for some reason. Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to remember if like, the cartoon version of Baxter had like a laugh letter or something. I don't remember it, but maybe it's based on something, but I don't know. No idea. Uh, but so she races off and she's watching and they're, they're in like a, like a train station or something like that. This restaurant was in. She was. Yeah. yeah. I, it looks like Grand Central Station. Yeah. Yeah. But... It, looks, it looks like there was a restaurant in the station and that's where she was talking to Stockman and she starts chasing uh, the henchman and so here's the thing with this is that this entire scene is just a bunch of convoluted setup so that we can do a megan fox as sexy scene and the setup for I, it, it i want to interject real quick <laughs> yeah. i literally wrote down as my only note for this scene megan fox getting all sexy yes that's the my set, only note the setup for this is that there's a group of like i don't know probably slightly drunk young women who are mm-hmm. all dressed in like sexy schoolgirl? They've all got tartan skirts on. They're they've all you know got the white yeah. shirts and things, and they're all sort of like freaking out and taking photos with people who are dressed up in any way. So they're taking photos of with someone. I don't even remember who she sees at first, but Megan Fox clearly has an idea, right? Or April has an idea, and she jumps mm-hmm. down and she takes her smart jacket off, puts it in the trash. She ties her white shirt into you know like a schoolgirl tying it at the midriff, right? Yep. And um, and this is all, you know, a sexy montage of her doing this. And then she just, like, steals a skirt, because you know, you've got those, like, kiosks that sell clothes in the middle of a station. So she steals yep. that. She then steals, like, something else off another kiosk. And then she looks like a sexy schoolgirl. She's just transformed into a sexy schoolgirl. Yep. There's a lot of Dutch angles. There's a lot of, like, you know, cutting to her midriff. And the whole thing is just so she can go up and say... Uh, you know, she grabs like a cowboy hat and puts it on the henchman and says, oh, look, it's a... Because I thought she was changing so that this guy wouldn't recognize that she, she was the same woman that was just sitting with Baxter. Yeah, I thought that same. was the plan. Instead, it was just to pretend to be one of these drunk women to make all those women start taking a photo with them so she could like sort of keep them still for 10 seconds to finish the transfer. I was, what, what got me the most out of that is that, okay, she caught up to this guy. Like, she managed to walk fast enough to catch up to him. She could have just walked behind him for, yeah, for like, for, for a minute, three yeah. feet. That would have been enough. Because it was literally, <laughs> like, she was sitting at 96%. And then she would have just been like, and done. All right, bye. But instead, this whole big thing happens. And you're right, it is so convoluted in setup, payoff, everything about it. And... It's, its only purpose is to get Megan Fox in a sexy outfit. And not to mention, one of our supposed heroes has just committed petty theft for, I would not call justifiable reasons. Okay, you say that, but like, this entire movie is nothing but our heroes committing crimes. Well, yeah, but they're outside the system. They can't just, you know, do things. Don't get me wrong. Because there is a reason for Megan Fox to just be able to get this done where she can just instead of doing this whole thing of oh i'm gonna steal this i'm gonna do that and she could instead just walk up behind the guy none of it's excusable but that's on the writing that's 100 that no matter what everyone in this movie has committed some level of crime and i feel like stealing a skirt off a chair it's like yeah sure whatever it may as well <laughs> for some reason this bothered me more than any of the other ones though because this just felt like just this was just because it's without purpose yeah, so that's the yeah. whole reason <laughs> just 
she just she just grabs the skirt off and it's not like in uh other movies where someone like comes out like maybe for some reason they're half naked coming out of a river or something so they steal some clothes off of a wash line because yeah they're naked they need to put something on i mm-hmm. i accept in the moment like i'll i'll take the moral hit <laughs> just yeah. so that i'm not freezing to death here uh but th- this was not that this this was nah. april thinks she's above the law and i don't <laughs> approve of this <laughs> Again, there's a point later on in this movie where they break into a police station to steal evidence. Like, if this is where you draw the line, the rest of this movie does not get better. That's not what I ever said. That'd get better. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but this, this was just, this was setting a tone, is all I'm saying. This is a bad example for the kids of our generation. They yeah. can use the nunchucks as much as they want, but petty theft, I draw the line. Yeah, now that you mention it, I don't recall them using their weapons that much in this movie. Donnie uses his staff a few times. I don't recall a lot of other stuff. Yeah. I guess the biggest problem in using it is the fact that they don't have a lot of choreographed fights. It's more of giant action set pieces. Yeah, they don't have a lot of just foot clan to fight. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which I will point out, uh, as we'll get to a scene very soon, foot clan have kind of migrated to a middle point between yeah. paramilitary and ninja. So, yeah, they're not all the way there, but they're definitely more ninja looking than they were in the last one. Yep. Hmm, interesting. So, anyway, she hacks in and she basically just discovers that Baxter Stockman is working with Foot Clan, and then all the files are immediately wiped from her phone, yeah. so they can't do any more research on it. But it's enough to know that he's about to help try and break Shredder out, and Shredder's being transported uh and a, and a you know an armored car driven by casey jones uh mm-hmm. and he's just the most blandest mcblanderson like they don't even try and give him a character he's just Stephen amell the only thing they give him is that he likes hockey and then he talks to a guy who is not named who is never seen again who's also in the truck with him and that guy says he likes cage fighting so now this no-named character and casey jones <laughs> are at the same level of character development and we just run with that. Oh dear. Uh so we get our big action our big early action scene uh on, on the highway. Mm-hmm. Uh the Foot Clan have got a bunch of motorbikes. They've also got these little they're all they're almost like F one cars, these little yeah, things they I, had. I, I feel like they just stole them from the go kart range, but I'm <laughs> I'm not sure. Um and you know they're 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 blowtorching the top of the truck, they're they they've taken mm-hmm. out this the, you know, the the accompanying cars that are escorting the vehicle. They've done all this stuff. And then, of course, eventually uh, in come the turtles in their truck. And we should also mention here as well, that in this armored car, uh, the Shredder, who's all locked up, there's two other criminals, and they are Bebop mm-hmm. and Rocksteady. In their human form, of course. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so they're there. And, uh, you know, there's a big action scene where they're, they're, they're throwing manhole covers out the front of the, the truck. Yeah. One of which almost decapitates Casey, might I add. Would have been a much more interesting movie with that on the docket. It would, it would have certainly tidied the movie up a little bit. <laughs> Outside of the turtles accidentally killing a relatively innocent person. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, ultimately, the Shredder, he's trying to go up to a helicopter. He almost goes in. But it turns out, and they sort of bring in the more science fiction parts of the turtles in this movie. I mean, I know we've yeah. already got mutants, but like beyond that, like yeah. we've got a teleportation device. But it doesn't send Shredder back to where Baxter intended to, you know, send Shredder. Um, mm. He ends up in, I want to say it's Dimension X is what it's called. Yeah, that's what I saw online. So I'm, online. Okay. So I'm just yeah. doing it from memory. But um, mm. 
this is where Shredder meets Krang. And, you know, in the cartoon, Shredder was working for Krang, uh, even though it didn't feel like they did line up. But that's kind of part... That's the fun of the relationship, is that Shredder's this super serious guy. He thinks he's going to get something out of working with Krang, but Krang inevitably is always going to treat him like he's just a... You know, he's bitch. Okay, so as long as that's part of the cartoon, I can forgive it a little more, because mm. that was something in this movie. Keeping in mind the first movie, which they've established is still very canon. Yes. I feel like this Shredder, he hears like three words from Krang, and then it's just oh, no. like, whatever you have to say, I am all in. No, when he says, like, I'm in, it is far too quick. He does not, yeah. there's not enough convincing. Like, I, I would have thought maybe Krang, because Krang gives him like the purple ooze to go and make some mutants, right? I would have yep. think that maybe after he uses the ooze, that would convince Shredder, okay, Krang's got something to offer. I will work with him for now. But. I kind of like the idea that Shredder at least always thinks that he may, he has to have like a backdoor to get, like get away from him. Like you know, the, sort yeah. of like keep one eye on the exit because Krang might over try and like you know betray me any turn. And of course he does later on. But yeah, um, you say that, but then at the end of the movie he doesn't do anything for his backdoor exit. Like he literally just like you betrayed me, and Krang's like. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, no, no. I'm not saying that's in the movie. I'm saying I like the idea oh, that Shredder, in the cartoon? you know, like in my mind. Shredder does okay. have the back door. He doesn't end the movie. In the in this movie, he's an idiot who says, "Yeah, I'm in," and then immediately mm. just gets betrayed in the third act and is just frozen in ice. Ar- you know, Arnold Mister Freeze shows up practically and is like, "You know, what killed the dinosaurs? That's the Ice Age." That's, that's movie number three. We're gonna get back to it in movie number three. <laughs> well, no, I, yeah, he was definitely going to be thought out in the third movie if it mm. happened, but you know, yeah, you know, water under the what bridge and all that. Watch the watch the animated movie that's coming out later this year. It opens with him getting defawed, and it's like, oh, it's all in canon to this one. <laughs> oh no, there's no way. There is no way. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think Krang looked quite good, and like you yeah. know, I enjoyed that part of it. But no, I agree. Shredder just like agrees to work with them, like because he's like, yeah, and together we will destroy the earth. And Shredder's like, yeah, man. <laughs> like, it's it's not even that like shredder has one condition and he's like i i need one thing from you and he's like yeah the turtles don't worry we'll kill the turtles too and then he's like yeah okay cool great yeah they never really explained that krang just says yes i'm aware of your past like, like he's somehow watching i mean he is and that's the part they established the MacGuffin. they established the thing we gotta do and it is krang wanted to send a portal opening device into that dimension it broke up in the atmosphere and spread itself into yeah. three very still functioning pieces across the planet. Yeah, and one of one of which uh, Baxter already has, which is why they even had a teleporting thing in the first yep. place. Uh, one crash landed in the forest in Brazil, and one uh, is in the Was museum. In the museum. Yeah, yep. it's just like in like a artifact of some kind in the museum. Which I have words about when we get there, but regardless. Yeah, so it's basically just Shredder, go get these three things. The turtles will be on your tail the whole time. And then we'll open the portal to Dimension I don't X. even know why they made it three things, because honestly, the one in the museum, like, Bebop and Rockstar, just go there, smash into it, and get it. But yeah. there's, there's, like, no obstacles for them. It just it just happens. Well, they already had their hands on one. The second one is to establish that the turtles need to be on their case, and the third one's the action set piece. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But anyway. Uh, so obviously the turtles want to deal with Splinter, or sorry, deal with Shredder. Um, around here, April's investigating, and April 
like because it's daytime even though by the time that we see her do anything it's nighttime already that that, yeah. that, that really that, that was the thing so they're in the, the sewer base and they're like okay shredder's up to something baxter's up to something let's go and investigate and April's like, guys, it's daytime. You can't really go. And there's this really like sad pause for like a good couple of seconds at the end of the scene, right? Again, <laughs> all I see that sad pause, and they're like, "You're right." And I'm like, "Last movie? Anybody? Did anybody <laughs> watch the last movie? No. Okay, carry on." But not only that. So the, the two stupid things about this is that one. We see her go into the Baxter building where they're they're making Bebop and Rocksteady into mutants, right? And she just casually strolls in. She's able to go right next to where they are in the building and just eavesdrop on everything they're doing, like it's nothing. And then eventually steals a bit of their purpleuse to bring back to the turtles. Like all of this just happens, and she does it so easily. But then, like I said before, all when all this happens, it's already nighttime. So yeah. You know, I I mean, I guess, yeah, it got dark while she was on her way there, I guess. But it just, it kind of felt weird to say, you guys can't come because it's daytime. And then everything immediately is just a nighttime anyway. That just felt a bit weird to me. Yeah, I feel like it's one of the things where they have like a tight production schedule. They're like, okay, you got to film this stuff, do this stuff. And if you're going to shoot stuff indoors, which they did for the uh, Bebop and Rocksteady transformations... It may as well be nighttime because you can control the lighting inside, so it doesn't really matter what it is outside. So, but then, you know, there's big windows, whatever like that, and they just had to keep it all the same basic time. They couldn't shoot this consistently during the golden hour and then show it slowly descending into night. They were like, nah, it's night, screw it. Well, you say that, but like, this is, this is not a real location. This is not up in a real building. This is a set. They can, abso- they can absolutely do whatever time of day they want with their, their big lights outside the windows. Fair enough. I guess I just assumed that there was, they didn't actually want to build like an office room, but I guess they probably did. I mean, so. they wreck most of it when Bebop and Rocksteady start smashing things, so I'm pretty sure it's a set. Fair. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. In which case, I have nothing. It's just, <laughs> it's just a thing of them, like they they spit out a reason, and then the reason is immediately null and void, which happens a few times in this movie. Yeah. But meanwhile, Casey Jones has been. Uh, put on leave without pay because mm-hmm. uh he's talking crazy because he keeps trying because he's like no there was this big truck and they were firing like manhole covers and yep. his superior's like okay you're you're just crazy i'm just taking you off the payroll you're done for now and this has been laura linney from i think the fbi comes into the movie no she's just higher up the food chain oh, of the nypd okay. so she comes in i i thought they were going to make a thing about her because she's got like a second in command this asian lady and I mm-hmm. thought, that because the way she was introduced and she was, like, standing right behind her, I was expecting her to, like, turn around and talk to her. But she's just always there behind her. She never has a single dialogue in the whole yeah. movie. I, I thought they were... I, I don't know, I just thought she was going to be, like, a minor character that she talked to or something, and... Well, I thought it was going to go back, because remember in the first movie, and I mean the first, first movie yeah, yeah, in yeah. the 90s, they had the whole thing of, like, the foot have infiltrated a bunch of different ah, things. You, you were thinking she was, like, secretly foot. Yeah, she's the reason that the police are, like, unable to do anything to ah, stop them. Ah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which actually gets us to uh, the line you opened the review with, which yes. really, which is is so forced, it is unreal. Oh my god. He's trying to tell Laura Linney what he saw, and that there was this truck, and there was these things, and she just dismisses him, and thinks he's kind of crazy, and walks away, and says, that's all, you know, Mr... That's all Jones. That's all Jones, yeah. And he's like, that's Officer Jones. And... That would be a lot of force, but if you just cut there, that'd be fine. But then, yep. for some reason, he goes, that's Officer Jones. 
and hey, I'm going to be a detective. I'm just waiting for the next exam. Why did you offer that information up? Because we don't have enough character development for him yet, and they didn't think to work it naturally into the plot. But it sounds so pathetic. It sounds Look, like a, a kid. I, I genuinely thought that the next lines were just going to continue on with Pike, and now I'll be detective one day, like my father before me, who <laughs> died three days before my sixth birthday. He was the best man on the force, and he just keeps going with this expositionary yeah, and he crap. married my mother, who was a prostitute, who he kept safe by <laughs> police in the streets. I mean, yeah, I was waiting for it, that, but that instead was, they decided uh, that, that, they didn't even do that much development. They were just like, okay, yeah, no, he's he wants to be a cop. Like a bigger cop. Also, I want to point out my slight reference to the Poseidon Adventure there. I thought that was quite slick, but, you know. Congratulations. Well, you know. Everybody, Poseidon Adventure, available now on YouTube. Yes. Check it out. Yes. Uh, episode 6? I don't know, somewhere in there. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, that line just, it, it was such a forced line. And he it, it does that thing as well where he immediately looks at his police file on his car and... Well, that's the other thing. I've never thought of Casey having, like, a slick car, but I feel like this movie really emphasizes that he's the car guy in this, because he's always yeah. getting in, he's always riding the car, he's always, like, skinning into the shot or whatever. I have to assume that they got whatever car that is. They got a little product placement deal. Oh, the for sure. Problem yeah. Problem is, I don't know what type of car it is, even after watching the movie, so clearly it failed. Oh, yeah. But yeah. good on him. But uh, he does that thing where he kind of talks to himself. He's like, these two guys had a favorite bar. They're not stupid enough to go back there. Yeah, mm. they are. And sure enough, we see them at the bar. We see them get phones from the bartender. This is before they're turned into immunes. So yeah. Casey afterwards goes in and basically just starts trashing the place uh, mm. till the bartender offers up. And so this is the thing. He, he, he basically threatens them enough that the bartender admits that he gave them phones. And he's like, yes. wait. There's no way you give them phones without making them trackable. And I'm like, well, if his whole thing is to give people like, untraceable phones, uh, I feel like... Uh, I mean, ah, I don't know. But, you, but you see, the heroes know that trust is important. <laughs> Therefore, the villains cannot have that. Sure, sure. But here's the thing. He gives them, like, here, you can track them with this, and he's got the thing in his pocket. I'm like, wait, you just mm. had this on you? You're, you're, you're that, like, determined to track whoever you give phones to immediately? Right, and this is the vulture from Brooklyn Nine Nine, by the way, the bartender. Right? Yeah. Just, just to mm -hmm. point that out. Uh, what I really want to talk about, though, is that when he's also arriving, so April's running out at this point, right, and the Foot Clan have seen her, but she's getting away. Uh, yep. He shows up outside on the street, and he looks at this this tracker that he's been given, and I got to say, the interface on this tracker is like nonsense. It's actual. It's a three D map of New York, and the, the the company logo is on the building. And I'm like, yeah. see, see if it was just like Google Maps, I'd be like, okay, it's good. I, I could buy it just because it's Google Maps. It's, it's like it's like yeah. you know typical GPS sat nav stuff, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's like this. It, it reminded me of a movie from the nineties. It reminded me of like you know when you get like a hacking movie in the nineties and like oh we're hacking yeah. the system, and you get like a digital city that they're flying through and stuff. That's what it looked like. See for me. The one that always gets me, because I watched the movie so much, was in The Dark Knight when he activates mm. the sonar thing. And, you know, it's sonar. It's It just sends out, you see where objects are. But then there's one point when the Joker's attacking him, and the sonar manages to show where his scars are on his face, like in a darker color. It's just a bit too far, yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, but like the tech can't do that. 
I feel like there just is an alternate world where all of these movies are set, where the tech is just ever so slightly better, like for everything. <laughs> because the, 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 this point, uh, April has that watch that allows hacking, and they're just like, yep, that's a thing. Oh, yeah. He has this thing that allows for this this 3D mapping, and they're like, yep, that's a thing. What's and that? Later hold, on hold, in the... hold on. That watch, it's not even just hacking. It has like a display, like a Star Trek thing, where it shoots a yeah. hologram. It's got a That's hologram. That's what I was getting to was that later on in this movie, Leo, after they are out of the shadows, uh, not Leo, Don, Donnie, he, uh, he just has this full holographic display in front of him as he's walking and nobody is sitting there like, can we get that? <laughs> that's just high can, tech shit. <laughs> is, that, is that a thing that you can just allow us to use? Well, because that's insane. Much, much like the skirt theft. I think this stuck out to me more is because this is this is this is like a real thing and it should be easy to just look authentic because it does exist. Yeah, you know that this is more egregious to me because for some reason you've taken something that is believable and you've made it unbelievable by just going too too many steps too far. Um, because the thing with the Dark Knight Sonar thing is that yeah, okay, that's a bit too much detail with the thing, but the broad mm -hmm. strokes of it do kind of work. If it's sonar, yeah. it will get the shapes of the buildings, it'll get the shapes of the rooms. Stuff and that's like I'm that. okay, I'm okay with the broad strokes of like okay this GPS it's managed to track them latitude longitude and I will even forgive that it managed to track elevation to say they are up high yeah, in this building it's literally got like an arrow pointing to the floor they're on in the building <laughs> right I'm willing to forgive that that's even possible because maybe just maybe but you're right it goes just that little extra step too far of like the software that this scummy dude at a bar uses has. 3D modeling with the logos on the building. It's just that extra little bit too far of, no, it's not believable anymore. I don't even think about that part. You're right, yeah. This isn't something... Donnie's meant to be this genius inventor. Okay, he's made tech that's further advanced than what everyone else has got. It's mm -hmm. hard to swallow, but at least in premise, they're telling us he can do that. Baxter yeah. Stockman is working with teleportation technology. Okay, you're telling me he's this genius inventor and scientist who's working with, you know, he's got a company... All that stuff, yeah. fine. He's he's further ahead in the real world, but yeah, the Vulture from Brooklyn Nine Nine, who is a bartender who sells phones to criminals, has got technology that looks like more advanced. But because it it reminds me of like fake technology in movies from the nineties, so it makes it makes me think of a retro thing rather than a futuristic yeah. thing, even though technically it's more advanced. It's it's like the computers in the original Alien, where it's like this is all very retro, and yet it is also futuristic at the same time yeah which i and i love that like future retro is actually really cool uh mm -hmm. in the right context and i think alien the old like because I, I you know it's kind of boring when you watch a sci-fi movie now and everything's holograms and touchscreens i'm like i miss buttons that's that's i'm totally tangenting here and we need to get back to the movie but like <laughs> holograms will never take off as long as the person opposite of you can see what you're doing ah yes 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 like, there's no way anyone's going to be like, yes, please watch me scroll through porn on my phone. <laughs> I was about to make the exact same joke about Pornhub. <laughs> yep. I'm just going to get Pornhub on my hologram here on the train and everyone's just watching as yep. there's holograms going at it like rabbits. Exactly. It's yeah. just not feasible. Anyway, what happens next? Yes. Uh, so April's running away from the bad guys uh, who are the Foot Clan. Uh, and Casey sees that there's bad guys and decides to go into his car to see what he's got to help fight and he's got a hockey stick he's got his hockey mask and that's it and this is the only scene he really puts that on the whole movie yeah and they like hold on it they're like right everyone mm. you know what's coming we, yeah 
Uh, and it all just builds up to a joke where after the fight's done, when he's been, you know, because he's been, you know, firing hockey pucks at the bad guys and whatnot, where yep. he goes to say what his name is to April, and it goes, mm-hmm, what was that? Eddie Jones. Macy Phones? What's that? Stacy Moans? What? <laughs> and then he lifts up the mask. And do you know what the, the, the problem I have? It's not that you're making fun of the mask so that you can just disregard it and not use it again, even though mm. that's a little annoying. It's that I just don't believe it because there's holes where the mouth is. His voice would not be muffled. Yeah, no, it is just they, they wanted to have that joke and needed to give him a reason to lift up the mask. Yeah. That's I, all it was. I'm lo- I'm looking at him say this, and you've obviously you've muffled it in the sound effects and the you know in the the sound mix. But I can see his lips moving. There is no way this is not clear. <laughs> Maybe it was after the fight. Megan Fox just had a little tinnitus, and she's like, "I'm sorry, I just what?" Yeah, uh, and then the turtles show up after all the action, and this is where Mikey introduces them all. Casey mm-hmm. doesn't want to go with them, but because he says he can track Bebop and Rocksteady. They're like, well, he comes too. So they, he begrudgingly goes with them into the sewers. Yep. Uh, and they have some and more jokes point, with him. At I this guess. point, they have the ooze. They have the purple vial. No, sorry. The purple vial fell into police custody yes, at this yes. point. I, they've, they've got a small sample of it because Donnie has a little bit of it. But the big yep. main vial of it is in police custody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. And then it's just the meeting everybody seen down in the sewers at that point. Yeah, it's it's telling just how eh uh, this part of the movie is because I cannot f- I cannot remember how we get to the next part. So let's just go to the next part. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I assume that it just goes straight there. I can't imagine that there's anything in between. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the main thing here is this is where Donnie discovers that this purple ooze could turn them human, and he yes. tells this to Leonardo, and Leonardo says. Oh, I know what you're going to say. I actually, I know, you can go say it, but I know exactly what you're going to say about how Donatello yeah. shows this. Yes, on you go. Oh, it's not even about how Donatello no? shows it. It's, it's the whole concept. So the whole thing is that this ooze, as Baxter Stockman describes it, is it, in humans, there is this dormant gene from our animal ancestors, and it just brings it, it to the forefront. It's apparently a rhino and a warthog. Yep. You'd think it'd be monkeys, considering that, you know, monkeys. Well, but apes. regardless. Apes, not monkeys. Yes. Sorry. Regardless. Get it right, David. Come on. I know. The don't science emba- is very. Don't embarrass yourself. <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be better next And before time. someone corrects me, yes, I know that us and apes evolved from the same thing, which is referred to as the missing link. We're not actually evolved from apes, literally. Like, just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, so. My problem in their lies is that Donnie comes back and he's like, oh, well, because of the anti-helix, blah, 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 whatever, this thing could turn us human. And he puts it on his wrist and all of a sudden he goes from three fingers to five fingers and then transforms back near instantaneously after, which, okay, fine, whatever, for the sake of showing it. My problem comes from the fact of how they don't have any human DNA. They are turtles. There is nothing to like, say that they're tur- they are they reaching back <laughs> in their ancestral tree to when tur- humans they- <laughs> evolved into turtles. Hold is that what hold, I'm gathering? Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I actually don't oh. care about that part of it. Like, if if you want to tell me that because it's like this purple is mixing with the TCRIUs, um, just for whatever reason turns them into humans, I'll just go with the flow on that. The part but, that bothers okay. me 
is the willy-nilly way he just drops some of it on his hand to show that it'll yeah. change him. And I'm like, this is not sad. You'll just whack some of it on yourself <laughs> and go look. And I actually didn't notice that it turned back because I was thinking, wait, has he just got like five fingers in that hand now forever? Yeah, for the rest is, of the movie. Is that just yeah. that? <laughs> no, as soon as Leo walks away in the background, he just like shakes his hand oh, okay, and it turns okay, back okay. into three fingers. But yeah, no, I I have to imagine that Donatello, like, he accidentally spilled some on himself and, like, freaked out when he oh, grew yeah. five fingers. And then it changed back soon afterwards. He's like, okay, so I could just do that to well, make, like, a point that, later on. Okay. That's a, that's a more interesting scene. Give me this scene where he accidentally spills some on his hand and he starts, like, freaking out because he's starting to yeah. morph. Come on. Also, it, it did the same thing that Turtles 2, Secret of the Ooze, did, where they just bounce between whether or not it needs to be on the skin or ingested. <laughs> because he drops yeah, it yeah. on his skin and he's like oh i got five fingers well, now that, meanwhile that... later on he's like all right if we drink this we'll be human all right to play devil's advocate here mm-hmm. the dropping it on his skin was temporary the drinking it, i presume would be a permanent mutation why are you fighting so hard i'm for not this fighting movie? it <laughs> <laughs> i just it popped out of my head immediately okay I'll, I'll, all right all right Honestly, fair enough him, him dropping it on his hand though just willing like that Funny enough, you brought up Alien, because this was giving me Prometheus scientists like, oh, yeah. vibes of like, just, ah, just, just give it a go. Whack it on, oh, see hey, what happens. The air is breathable. <laughs> God. Oh my God. All right. The, um, the, the worst part is, is that we've been talking for over an hour and we are not even like close to halfway through. That, that just says a lot about parts of this movie, honestly, yeah. I think. Uh, anyway, so, uh, Leo says, don't tell the others, like, you know, I'm the leader, and no, we were fine the way we are, don't do this. And Donnie's a bit reluctant, but he's okay, fair enough. But Mikey's eavesdropping, Mikey heard this, and Mm -hmm. Mikey goes to Raph, and Raph is livid when he finds out, and he immediately uh, confronts Leo. One scene we skipped over, because it has nothing to do with the plot right up until now, is the Halloween parade. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, this is when they're the way back from the next game, yeah, at the start of the movie, yeah. So it's basically Mikey, he looks out through the sewer grate, he's like, oh, hey, the Halloween parade, we could blend in and nobody would oh. notice. And they're, they're like, we're ninjas, dude, we don't, we don't do that. Yeah, I, I can't believe that. No, but just because it sets up one of the themes of the movie, which is like Mikey yeah. wanting to be out in the world and not be judged. And he Halloween. wants to be where the people are. And this is one of those weird things where I'd be calling bullshit. I'm like, look, it's clearly not a costume, right? Everyone else is wearing a costume. You're just a mutant turtle. But, yeah. you know, whatever. But... Yeah, how could I how could I forget this scene where Michelangelo runs into someone who's dressed up as Bumblebee from Transformers? Yep, how he does the full. He's in a car, like he's down on the ground. And he transforms into a robot. He does like sick costume and then changes back. Yeah, and it even has the little sound effect of as he transforms. No, no, very good. Good point. I'm glad you brought that up. So, so immediately, Raph confronts Leo, and you know what? Face value, as much as like the setup for it's a little bit silly with like Donnie just testing it on himself, and mm. I don't necessarily think it handles all of it that well. To be fair to it, bringing up this question of that they have a chance to like, change who they are to become humans and mm. have to decide no, we shouldn't have to change to fit in, the world should have to accept us is a really nice message just in general, but especially yeah. to give to kids. It's a good message. It's like, no, you, you you shouldn't have to become what everyone else says to fit in. It's a good allegory for multiple things, you know, whether it be racism, whether it be uh, homophobia, whatever it is, take your pick. Yep. It works for all of them. Great idea. So, yeah. and, you and know, it's on, I honestly think it is the core theme of the movie the whole way through. Absolutely. And it gives Leo as well, actual sort of like some trouble as being the leader. And he questions, you know, cause people, 
he, you know, he, he's a bit of an asshole where he says, I'm the leader, so what I say goes. And Splinter yeah. has to give him a pep talk at one point where he's like, hey, Leo, the differences of the four of you, it will make you a better team. Like, you know, you should mm-hmm. accept that as their brother. And, you know, the, right. So the, there's, so it's probably the most growth Leo gets in any of the live action movies. So fair yeah. play to that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I th- I think he it had possibly one of the best dramatic moments across any of these movies, and that's when Raph and Leo were talking, and Raph basically says like, "Hey, we don't get a vote," and Leo just says, "The only vote that counts is mine." Joe, uh, jo- I can relate to about that is that typically when Leo and Raph fight, Leo's the one who's more on the right, and Raph's kind of yeah. the angry asshole. But in this scene, I actually think Raph is the moral high ground. Yeah, or at least it's a. We all know that they shouldn't become humans, so we agree yeah. with Leonardo's decision, but he makes the point, Raphael makes the point well enough that we do think like, okay, Leo, good intentions, bad execution. Yeah, yeah, like, obviously Leo doesn't explain himself well, and he just sort of, you know, puts his foot down effectively, right. whereas Raph, but Raph is right in that, like, this, this is, should be all of our choice. You don't get to decide this for us, you know, this is something yeah. that we have to decide. Uh, and that, that's all fine, solid stuff really it really is like it's a bit rushed and it's you know there's a lot of like reasons why i don't think it nails what it's doing but the 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 the, the bare skeleton of it i think is absolutely good solid stuff to do with the turtles right you know it's a little bit of it's kind of like x-men when there's a cure right like do you choose to take the cure to blend in you know it's the same kind of thing absolutely uh and so they actually split up and do different things where uh mm-hmm. in fact the only real complaint about this is that when they split up into two pairs to go and do different things because leo and donnie go for a mission we don't really see much of what they do they just kind of like go and do a normal mission and we we spend our time with uh raf and mikey and don't get me wrong i like raf taking charge saying no i'm leading this mission mikey come with me we're going to go do this and they, what he wants to mm-hmm. do is steal the big vial of purple ooze that the police station has and he enlists yep. april uh and casey to help with this and that's all fine. And even then, April's like, and Leo is okay with this plan. And Raph's <laughs> like, actually, it's my plan. I'm taking charge. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my only complaint with that really is that it feels like we probably should have seen Leo and Donnie doing something whilst they were doing their mission. I mean, they did cut away to it that one time. And their mission was they they got an alert that the natural history museum was being yeah, broken yeah. into and they went there and they were just bebop and rocksteady were already gone and at this point they made their way into the museum and they went in with shredder they went to attack the big rock thing that the next MacGuffin was in and then shredder comes up and he like touches it with some fingers like swiping an iphone and then all of a sudden it opens up and inside is the MacGuffin, and then they just leave question uh, this thing, as Krang said, just kind of broke up in the atmosphere and arrived on Earth. Why does it have a case that is somehow formed around it that is now openable via swiping? I mean, I've, I try to play devil's advocate when something springs to mind. I got nothing for you on this. Yeah. <laughs> I got like nothing. Because that, that was the part I was like, Krang literally said that he sent it to Earth fully formed. He built the machine and it was all in one piece. And then it broke up in the atmosphere. So it should have arrived just sitting on the ground. But instead it's inside this. If it was just inside a rock, I could accept that somehow. But instead it's inside this special space rock where you can open yeah. it up by swiping it. Just bothered me. But anyway, yeah. in the in the Donatello and Leonardo scene, they come there, they see it's empty and they're like, oh, 
based off of the thing he stole, he and the fact that he can teleport, they're probably opening up a portal to another dimension. Which is, is fine, and I'm not saying that they had to have their own fun, because, you know, the whole thing with Raph and Make is they're doing, like, a heist in the police station, and it's got a lot of fun antics to, you know, associated with it. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Um, I'm not saying they have to have something equal. It's fine that they don't actually get into a fight. It's fine that Shredder and Cove already left, and there's a bit of, like, exposition. But I think to make it feel more equal is I think that maybe what that other scene, what, what Leo and Donnie should have had in that, that scene to extend it a bit, is probably have Donnie kind of like confront Leo about how he's been with the brothers and actually sort of yeah. like question, like, should you have really acted like that with Raph and try to like be a voice of reason? Just to sort of bring them, you know, just to sort of re-engage the themes of what's going on and kind of like really set up the conflict to be resolved later. I, I, I just, I felt like it, that would have been good because it would have been like yeah. the quiet side, whereas, you know, Raph and Maker are off doing, like, being proactive. Like, this, this is the side of it that can sort of explore what the story actually is for the audience a little bit yeah i mean that scene was definitely plot centric it was just making sure that we knew the turtles knew what the plan is and that they're yeah. all on the same page now but you're right it could have double dutied and also done just a little bit of extra character development as well yeah and it just made it feel a bit more equal as well because it feels like they get a throwaway scene well it's all just the making raffi yeah the making and raff is what i meant to say the making and raff stuff i like mike and raffi uh, and this is where uh, Will Arnett comes back at in the movie because Megan Fox enlists him to distract the police out front so that they can sneak in. And there's a lot of convoluted stuff here where uh, they're using tech, which I guess they got from Donnie, even though Donnie's not involved in this plot, to mm. scan like the, the key cards and stuff so that when they scan, they'll, they'll show up as cops and things like that right. to get in. Um, and it all just kind of goes tits up immediately because as soon as they turn a corner and they just see like the foot have already got the vial in their hand, well, you say it goes hits up immediately. They go through the whole plan to the point where they get to the last step and Megan Fox goes cowabunga. And then she scans in to get into the room and the foot come out. It's like, oh, all right, well. I guess that was a lot time. of uh, wasted yep. effort. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is, it's, it's a pleasant enough hijinks scene. Like, uh, it, yeah. you know, it's not like great or anything, I, but it's fine. I like, I like the moments where like, Raph gets stuck in the vent. He's unable mm. to go any further, so he just does like passes the card over to Mikey to continue it. I think it does little moments like that to keep it entertaining, but it is definitely just kind of a we don't quite we're not quite ready for the action set piece yet, but we know that we're kind of in a lull, so we're just going to do this little thing to keep everyone engaged. Yeah, and you know, Raph teaming up with some people to go against the others. I mean, this is more 50-50 because he's got Mikey with him this time, but, you know, it's very much in character for Raph, and it feels like a traditional Turtles thing, so, you know, yeah. credit or wherever credit is due for that, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, it doesn't take too long for Donnie and Leo to, like, show up to help as well, but... Well, they specific once the foot show up, they're like, Mayday, we've, we're in our own mission here, we need you guys to show up, and they're just yeah. like, okay. Uh, but there's a choice that needs to be made, like, do we go down and help, like, because we'll mm -hmm. be seen by the cops, and ultimately they do. Uh, and of course, like, the like Laura Linney and the other characters are all just staring. Goes, oh my god, what are they? They're monsters. <laughs> They're freaks. Yeah, and they've got their guns pointed at them. And you know, like it's not like a bad moment where you have April and Casey jump out to like basically act as shields and say no, don't shoot them. And the turtles yeah. get away whilst they get arrested. And I, I, you know, I don't hate that actually. One because. It's kind of sweet that they stick up for the turtles because ju just when the turtles are at their lowest point, when they feel because it's quite a sad scene when they're all being called monsters and oh yeah, and, and Mikey even and you know what to give the movie credit, I do think it's actually a really good idea that Mikey points out they didn't just look scared, 
they look like they hated us. And I think mm-hmm. that to drive the theme that they're going for, I actually think that's a really good line. But it's kind of sweet that there's two humans that do stick up for them. That's important for the balance of like, hey, not all humans are bad and they can yep. learn. They can get better and get used to you. You know, like, yep. right. So that's important. Um, but it also adds this extra element to when they're debating afterwards again or they're arguing afterwards again, that Leo can say to Raph, April's arrested and like, basically she's getting the comeuppance for your bullshit plan. You did this. Yeah. You put her in mm-hmm. this position and this is your fault because you went off like half cocked with you and Mikey without all of us as a team. Um, yeah. So it adds a bit more fuel to that. So do, 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 like I would say that this middle part of the movie is maybe where it starts to click into place a little bit and there's, there's actually a few good ideas kind of mm-hmm. circulating. Yeah, I mean, for the... Uh, I watched this when I was working today, because I work from home. Uh, I thought you were going to say the, Blaine drunk, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, from the For the first half of this movie up until this point, you know, I was working while the movie was running. I was, you know, peeking over. It was mostly just set up exposition. It was once it got to this scene that the part where they're stared down by the police and, like, they've got guns drawn and everything, that's where I started, like, okay, I'm going to start giving this more attention. Like, if I have to do my work, I'm going to wait until I have a moment, and I'm going to give this more attention. Because you're right, this is where it starts really clicking into place. This is where it starts feeling like we have a grasp on what story we want to be telling with these characters. And it really does start really... I don't want to say firing all cylinders because I do think that it is. No, because I don't no. think it achieves the heights that it's reaching for or yeah. what I would want it to reach in and look the best version of this movie. Right. But it, like, there's at least something in there as opposed to the last movie where there was nothing there. Right, exactly. It, it was starting <laughs> to exceed my expectations for a sequel to what I watched last time. That's a fair way to put it. Like the, the bar's not raised that much, but it, it it does exceed your expectations based on the last one. I think that's a fair yeah. statement. <laughs> that's a very fair statement. Uh, so the turtles are off to Brazil because they can, they know that Bebop and Rocksteady are heading there to get this mm-hmm. uh, last MacGuffin. So they get into a cargo hold of a plane and go off to do that. While Casey and April are just interrogated by Laura Linney. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, this is like a small quibble in a, in a movie that's, you know, like this movie, but, you know, it, obviously it's very unrealistic that they would be interrogated together all the time and never be separated. That's a bit oh, yeah. weird. But, Absolutely. You know, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, and they still have phone at some point to call Will Arnett to come and, like, bail them out or, or, or not even bail them out, sorry, to, to go get the evidence that Baxter Stockman security footage, uh, had Bebop and Rock because because they, they get like fake footage from Baxter Stockman and it just shows April yeah. there with nothing else and she's like that's been falsified and then later on <laughs> they call Will Arnett and he goes and he sneaks into Baxter Stockman again he's got so much celebrity like yeah, you know A-list status <laughs> yeah he just says I'm the Falcon let me in here eh? and yep. there's just like a it's not an offensive joke it's, it's kind of fine but it takes up like a minute of screen time and I'm like was it really worth this minute <laughs> Yeah, where he you know he finds where the camera is and he's like okay where's the hard drive that this records to and he starts pulling out the cable and it goes all around the room he's pulling the cable out the wall and then it mm-hmm. goes all the way back around 360 degrees to exactly where the camera was and then goes down and the box is like you know two foot below where the camera was yep. and i'm like okay this is this is a fine joke for like a mr bean episode <laughs> it's a fine joke for a naked gun movie or something of that nature this was like a minute of time that you could have just not had. <laughs> uh, 
I didn't mind it as much, but it definitely <laughs> stood out oh. enough that like I specifically wrote down clock scene because it just felt like it's just a, a complete turn yeah. in anything else that was going on. It's just a comedy um, scene that's kind of on its own and separate from everything else. <laughs> One thing I I really wanted to question here. So we're she the police chief has shown the doctored footage of April O'Neil stealing something from Baxter's office and we don't see Bebop and Rocksteady. Do you think she should have still been kept if they showed actual footage of her stealing a skirt? <laughs> yeah, breaking news. We've got a second video from uh, Grand Central that shows April yeah. O'Neil uh, doing some petty theft. Uh, stealing a skirt, and it's like, okay, well, I'll keep me in jail then. I've got nothing against that one. I mean, who knows? Maybe April went back and paid for the skirt after the end of the scene. Highly doubtful, but we can assume. It's possible. Yep. <laughs> no, so, like... So yeah, like he shows them the real footage, and they're unarrested at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so we'll, we'll and leave... then the, and then the cop is like, okay, so now we're on the lookout for a rhinoceros, Baxter Stockman, and a warthog. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's that. Meanwhile, of course, back to the turtles. They're on this Meanwhile, plane in Brazil. <laughs> yes, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady have got a tank. They're just sort of like going through the the jungle in a tank. Yep. Uh, Which I thought this was a cartoon thing. Was this not a cartoon thing? They might have had a tank at some point. I don't remember a tank, right, but enough. you know, I haven't watched an episode of the cartoon in like what twenty five years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> so, so close Sounds to like it's time to go back. Um, I'd probably have a lot of nostalgia to be honest if I yeah. watched the cartoon. But but yeah, they come across the MacGuffin in yet another giant space rock. But instead of swipe to open, it's a tank. Yeah, see, because yeah, they shoot the rock and they get the MacGuffin out of it. But all I could think was. What if you destroyed it with the tank? Like, imagine going back to yeah. Shredder and be like, uh, sorry, boss, we blew it up. We assumed that the ability to travel through dimensions meant that it was safe from explosives, but yeah. guess not. And we haven't really mentioned at this point uh, Bebop and Rocksteady's behavior and just how they act with each other. They're, well, idiots. <laughs> yeah, is the best that's pretty much it. They, they're just constantly, like, shoving each other uh they're farting constantly they're just uh i think it's bebop has like a giant stomach and he just like shakes it around for no reason yeah like they're eating like barrels of like spaghetti at one point and yeah uh yeah they're constantly saying you know my man man. punching each other yeah I, i mean did this ever grate on you for me it got close to it at times but it never quite crossed over into me disliking the characters i think yeah, it's probably skirting the line. I think it just gets away with it and only just just because they're never the focus. It always, you know, they're there for their scene and then, it, you know, we go back to someone else. Right. They're not the main villain. So it just, yeah, it gets away with it in that sense. Uh, That's fair. But it is very much this movie's version of uh, Tokar and, or, and Razar or Razar. Whatever they are. Yeah. They're babies. There was a point in this movie, where I think it's right after they ate the spaghetti, and Shredder's just standing there watching them, and I'm like, he's going to say it. He's, he's, he's going to say it again. Well, they had the Vanilla Ice song come out at one point, although it was not yeah. the song. It was not the, the ninja no. song. It was Ice Ice Baby, yeah. but we know what you meant. God damn it. So, so anyway, uh, Bebop and Rocksteady, they already have the MacGuffin. Yeah, they're they on their way. Yeah. yeah, they're flying back as the turtles are flying in, but they happen to be crossing paths. Which... For the record, I'm pretty sure when it comes to, you know, air travel, they try and avoid, like, crossing over each other. I mean, they do. Like, it has to happen. 
but I'm pretty sure that it's they show a visual of how close these planes are. And I think they even give the number of like 3000 feet or something like that. Yeah, it's too close. There's no way that these planes would be that close together in any sort of regulated airspace. Yeah, that, that, this is, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm pretty sure Bebop and Rocksteady are on a, you know, Foot Clan-owned private plane who's probably Which breaking then, rules, but... Fair enough, but then how do they track it? How are they like, oh, yes, the plane left today? It's a very good point. <laughs> it's a very good point. So, actually, this was one of the things that reminded me of something else. So, they jump mm-hmm. out, the turtles jump out the plane, Raph's a bit scared, and... Uh, the 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 plan is to land on the other plane and you know get this thing whatever mm-hmm. right, but it was when Mikey jumps out first with his rocket skateboard, yep, um that I got flashbacks of the first scene of the Power Rangers movie. Yes, because Tommy was... had like a snowboard that he jumps out on when they're doing yep. the the parachuting scene, and I'm like, holy shit, this is giving me like like weird kid deja vu. Yep, and then meanwhile, uh, Bash and Skull are too scared to jump out up there. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, and Bash and Skull, little Bebop and Rocksteady in their own way. Absolutely. They're not villains, they're more just, you know, silly comic relief, but still some similarities. Yep. So, yeah, uh, so they end up all in the plane and... Uh, well, you got. I oh. want to throw in, before Raph jumps, he psychs himself up and he's like, okay, all right, got to do it, <laughs> oh, got to yeah. do it. What would Vin Diesel do? No fear. He specifically channels Vin Diesel as his spirit animal, which I'm for. I think that's perfect fitting for him. Uh, <laughs> I'm just surprised he didn't say this is for my family or something like that before he jumped ah, out. This is a bit too on the nose. Family Gotta do with Vin Diesel. Well, he's, he specifically says, like, no fear. And then the moment he leaves the plane, he's like, ah, I was wrong. Fear sucks. And he just starts freaking out as he jumps out. I personally... I know the action set piece on the whole goes a bit too long, but this opening bit to it, I really enjoyed. It's the, yeah, I mean, I feel like the, these two movies as a whole spend the turtles a lot of time, like, in, either at the top of skyscrapers or somewhere up high, and it's like, I don't associate the turtles with being up high. For no. some reason, these two movies are doing it constantly. Like, the last movie ended on top of a skyscraper. This one has them on top of a skyscraper at the start. And then the final fight's, like, in the sky. And then this scene, yeah. obviously, is in a plane, jumping to another plane. There's, still, there's a lot of that for some right. reason. Top of that famous mountain right outside of Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> so, they end up fighting in the plane with Bebop and Rockstar. This is your big turtles versus those two scene. Uh, yep. And there's fighting, they're throwing them around and all that. Eventually, they brought go- the tank back onto the plane. Yeah, it goes south though because I think it's Rocksteady goes into the tank and fires just the guns repeatedly and it completely just destroys the front of the plane. Uh, although I love that the movie makes it clear that the two yes. pilots uh, like eject and have parachutes. Just, just so you know they're not dead. There was also Foot Clan on that plane as well and they also all immediately activate their parachute. As they fall out of the just plane. Just so you can see it. But which, see, yeah. they didn't really have to do, though, because there's... Uh, honestly, it's an, it's an okay Turtles line where uh, I think it's Raph who says, okay, the good news is you'll have parachutes. The bad mm-hmm. news is... And then it cuts to them all getting kicked out of the plane. That's slightly funny. I feel like they put that line in there and then it didn't intend to have their parachutes pulled on screen. But then someone in, like, Nickelodeon or something says, like, nope, it's company policy. If they if they're falling, they have to activate their shoot on screen. Maybe it just looked because even though we know they've got parachutes and we're just told that, maybe the mm-hmm. visual of them just like falling out the plane just looked too violent. 
and that was yeah. the that was it. It's like no, we have to Probably. show the parachutes activating just to so it's visually clear that they're okay. Because that's also the other thing is just like for anyone who actually has done that, you want to activate your parachute after you're a little bit farther away from the plane, so yeah. it doesn't get sucked right back up into it. Yeah, so the, it doesn't the, make sense from the point of realism either. I can't tell you wh- where it is because I you know I do not know this. But mm-hmm. like I understand there is an optimal kind of like height that you're supposed to open it as well. It's not just yeah, you know, because I, I don't know if, it's, if there's a risk if you're too high if you'll just end up like being carried, hell knows where. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. I, I'd imagine the higher up you pull it, the less your target is going to get hit. Yeah. So there's like a sort of you know obviously there's like a safe distance from the ground that you have to pull it otherwise you'll come in too hot. But right. Yeah. Man. So anyway, anyway, I was. Uh, but that, that did make me so, laugh, though. It's because that was right after the Foot Clan parachutes where these two pilots also had their parachutes pop, like, right after they eject from the cockpit. Yep. And I was like, ah, okay, very good. There, there was a cartoon. I can't even remember what it was, but there was a cartoon that always made me laugh because they'd have, like, these very violent scenes where, like, obviously the person should be dead, but they would always, off-camera, have the voice saying, like, I'm okay, <laughs> just for the sake of getting around those ratings. I feel like that was the same thing here where the pilots just, like, poomp, I'm okay. <laughs> oh dear. So they end up in a river and they're basically all floating in the debris of the plane mm-hmm. uh, and the tank as well is floating down the river and they're they're jumping and they're basically playing keepy up with the MacGuffin where, you know, Makey has it and then like, you know, one of the bad guys tackles them and it flies out of the air and the other bad guy gets it. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's basically just repeats that. There's like a near miss at one point where you know, a, a rocket from the tank almost hits Mikey and Raph sort of like dives at him and pulls him out of the way. You know, it's whatever yeah. it is. And it it's ends- just the continuation of the action set piece. Yeah. And then it ends with the the turtles not realizing they're about to go for a waterfall. So we get a scene where they're all falling and you see them all sort of like pop into their shells on the way mm-hmm. down. Uh, and then, you know, so uh, there's like a little amusing bit with Raph where he like sort of like he's, it's right, I think it's when they first land because he sort of like, he crawls to the, the, the shore and he's like, oh ground oh sweet ground how i love you and then he looks up and then there's like a big just like regular turtle like looking at him mm-hmm. and he's yeah. like oh this is i for some reason i thought it was the, the twist here the, the the joke twist was going to be that what he was kissing was not a rock but he was on the back of something yeah same uh but that's not what they did they did not do that it was just punchline the... punchline i guess revolved around the fact of him being like vulnerable and open about this but it should have been he was just kissing the turtle shell and the turtles had like turned back to look at him yeah because even his line, oh, well, this is awkward, would have worked in that context as well. Yeah. But, hey. Um, yeah, so when they when they land, Leo specifically makes the point of the theme where he's like, well, you know, we may be brothers, but we're not a team. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because um, they, get, they get given a choice. Like, so when they get back to the city, um, and obviously the, the, the Shredders started the device... He's told back. He's put Baxter in his place. You're just a little bitch. I'm the one in charge, and you'll never be anything. <laughs> Those are the exact lines. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which that. is really funny because then he teleports to Krang, and Krang's like, "Oh, by the way, Shredder, you're my little bitch," uh, mm-hmm. and then freezes him. So Shredder's, you know, he's got his helmet on at this point, but he's just frozen in ice and put in containment, basically. Okay, so can I just can I can I throw how the one change I would make to this script without uh-huh. structurally changing it? Just the one line I would change. Go on. Off the little I know about Baxter Stockman, which is very little, but I do know this. The line that Shredder uses to put Baxter in his place is one he used earlier. He's saying that all these greats of science are just footnotes compared to what he's going Mm. to do. 
But then Shredder says, no, I will be the one to rule the world. You are nothing but a footnote. Screw the footnote thing. Drop that earlier. And when Shredder talks to him, he's like, oh, I am the one who will rule. You're nothing. You're nothing but an insect. That should have been the line. Foreshadowing, perhaps? Exactly. That's the only thing I know, but that should have been it. <laughs> I love how you only know that because of the Batman Turtles animated movie we did this the bonus episode. Available on Patreon now. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Patreon and YouTube members, you can check out uh, the uh, the bonus episode. Uh, yep. There's one every month, uh, in fact. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, no. Um, so, Crank starts his thing. Portal Vortex opens in the sky, and it actually does... It creates a blue sort of, like, ripple, but not a, it's not a beam of light. It's like a... Yeah, it's like, it's like a, a tear in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And parts of the Technodrome start flying through, and it's going to assemble. So, there's, like, a sort of ticking time clock element to this. Yep. And the turtles, you know, the, the, oh, actually, the, the, the police, you know, Laura Linney and everyone sort of looking up at the sky and it's like, oh shit, how do we deal with this? So, it's, mm -hmm. you know, to be fair to the movie, it's setting up, oh shit, like, this needs, like, the heroes. They need to step up and be, like, the heroes of the city and, like, the world, even in, in this case. Yep. And, and then oh. there's the underground bit with the turtles where yeah. they have to make the choice. And apparently, based off of the atmosphere of the Technodrome, the turtles are the only ones who are able to go up there and, and not, handle it. And not die, yeah, because like, humans will just die up there, right? Yep, but, it, but of course it's daytime, and that's the no-no zone. Can't do that. But at least in the context of the movie, this is where they're, they're, everything's been set up so that they have to make a choice here where we can use this purple ooze, which we now have, mm. uh, which they got, they, they did get it from the police station scene. We just haven't really talked about that. That was the end yeah. result, is that they did end up with it. Uh, but they've got the purple ooze. We can go up, and Leo sort of admits, look, this, is, this should be all of our choice if this is how we're going to do it. And notably, and it has to be Raph who makes the choice. Oh, no, of course. Uh, you know, we shouldn't have to change. We'll go up there and we'll be turtles because that's, that's what we are. And he throws it against the wall and smashes it. The only thing I would have changed is that I would have liked Mikey to just give like a knowing nod to Raph. Like, yes, sure, I yeah. agree with what you're going to do. Because he also, he was also on board with that. He wanted to be able to be where the people are yeah yeah absolutely make should maybe put his hand on his shoulder or something and give him like a sort of like a little nod and then raf could have yeah. smashed it just to be like yeah okay we're all on the same page we all yep. want to stay turtles we shouldn't have to change to fit in and mm -hmm. you know it gets to that and this is what really made me think of ghostbusters actually is like so you've got lauren lenny with megan fox and like some cops with guns and mm -hmm. like they're going to be here right and april's like yeah they're going to be here and then the turtles come out the sewers in this alleyway and it's kind of like tense, and they're sort of like, and Laurel and he's like, okay, how do we know we can trust you? And they're like, well, you don't, but you need us. Like, we can save the world. And it reminded that this entire thing where they then escort the turtles to the building that they're going to go up to, like, get to the oh, tire yeah. jump is very uh -huh. much in Ghostbusters, where the mayor's like, okay, your heroes, your team of four is going to go save the world. What do you need from us? And it's like, okay, we'll give you the police escort. We'll take you. This was very Ghostbusters. This entire. Oh, absolutely. Like not the actual fight in the sky, obviously, but the entire setup to it was very Ghostbusters one, and it's like when, set up when the turtles got up to the top and Krang asked them, "Are you gods?" I really got the vibe. <laughs> Let's show this bitch how we do things downtown. Yep. Oh man, make it, if Makey was ever going to make a reference like that, should have. <laughs> oh, perfect. That would have been exactly. <laughs> that should have exactly what you should have said. Uh, but you know, and this this makes sense. It's like okay. The, the city, or at least, you know, a portion of the city are agreeing, we need your help. So this is going to, mm -hmm. how you're going to earn their trust is by saving the world. 
And, you know, it's okay, this is a fitting end for a movie where they've been wanting to be able to interact with the world a little bit more. And yeah. sure enough, okay. And then the fight itself, you know, they get up there and they fight crying and the robot's like, you know, stretching out its arms. He's got a big cannon on his chest at one point. It gets all the different toy pieces that they're yep. going to sell as a multi-pack. Crying. Guaranteed. You know, trash talks the way he does. Like, honestly, like the fight itself, I think, other than maybe being a little bit too over the top because it's in the sky as the Technodrome's forming, I think otherwise, though, this is what it probably should have been. I I really like the fight throughout, but there are like three different fights going on at this point, which mm. we'll say the other two in a minute. But there were points where it hung on this fight for a while. It's because this is the main one and it makes sense to stick on this one. But then it's all CGI. The villain is CGI. The turtles are CGI. The setting is CGI. And there are a few points where it's hanging out in this fight long enough that I'm like, this is just an animated movie now. There's nothing real in this scene. And the CG is not like CG. cutting edge. You know, we said that in the first one as well. Is that the CG yeah. for the turtles is like not even like passable. Even feels too generous. It feels like just enough that like they can say this is like proper effects, but it doesn't look good. Yeah. I, you know, it's like people obviously say Avatar is an animated movie technically because most of it is technically animated, but. You know, it's so cutting edge that it's like, yeah, but it's, you know, it's just on that lane of being pretty it's, convincing. It's right in that area of where Final Fantasy games always feel like about like three years after their release, where it's like when mm. it came out, I'm sure it was like, oh, this is incredible. But then after a little bit, you're like, OK, I can see the cracks. Yeah, I can see where it's not quite there. Yeah, but Avatar raised the, and Avatar 2, funnily enough, again, raised the bar again. Um, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that because a lot of big blockbusters like this one we're kind of like just kind of like phoning it in effects wise for a, a decade that mm-hmm. ju- that bar leaping again for avatar 2 felt even bigger because like yeah like nothing since the first avatar barring maybe like the apes trilogy felt like it was pushing the effects and you know the digital effects envelope forward whereas yep you know so so that's you know it looks kind of whatever but you know it's based on a cartoon kind of it's a nickelodeon movie yeah that's all you really need to say on that note can i just say that they're opening like like uh logo the nickelodeon movies logo is Uh oddly kind of like serious and somber for what's you know a nickelodeon (laughs) logo yes i feel like that's strictly for this movie though where they're like, no, like, this is our gritty movie. This is our one where it's like, <laughs> this isn't the SpongeBob sequel. This is like the action adventure one. It just really I feel st- like if, stuck out to I me. I feel like if we watched like the Rugrats in Paris, the logo is going to be just, you know, oh, yeah, bouncing around. That, that's like that's like 20 years ago. Though. I, I think with this, though, I mean, I don't think Nickelodeon have made that many movies in the last five years that weren't, you know, these. But in fact, this is even five years. This is seven years old yeah, never, mind. Say, never mind never mind oh mind. god the last decade i'll say that the last decade this was clearly okay. their studio logo that they were going to use for presumably to make more movies and we might even see it at the start of the new animated one later this year yeah that's fair well, i said though it could have changed already because it's, it's already been seven years like i said but um anyway so th- i think the fight for the most part is what you want it to be i wish the turtles looked better but i do think crying's kind of what you should be um yeah. the technodrome uh you know, especially when it's fully formed and it's got the little ball on top, it's like okay, this this reminds me of the Technodrome from the. It wasn't flying in the original cartoon or anything, but yeah, you know, it works well enough. Get um, a little flare. They, you know, they get to the beacon that is going to make it basically make it all go back through the portal, uh, and sure enough, it does. 
Uh, but you also get them beating the robot. You know, they, they don't destroy Crying. Crying himself is still alive there, but they do disable his robot, and they sort of, you know, Donnie puts his, like, stick in and electrifies it to yeah. down the robot, and that's, like, a fun enough moment. Uh, I, I, I think... I, I don't know. I really want Mikey to have his moment, and it never feels like in the fight scenes he ever does. He's always, well, like... He gets the big giant nunchucks in the truck... True, but then it's immediately played for a joke if he loses them instantly. That was my point, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I just, I want there to be the moment that Mikey can be like, especially fans of Mikey, I think that's the bigger part, is that, mm. you know, Leo fans have their things to ride on. Wrath fans have their things to ride on. I feel like Mikey fans are just like, yeah, he's funny. It's like, okay, how's he doing in a fight? Well, he's funny. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of. He's. I mean, in theory, he's the heart. Like that's that's the reason why he's the one that points. They specifically, out. they specifically during the scene where they're talking to the police, give each of them a single word identifier of strategy for Leo, instinct for Raph, logic for Donnie, and heart for Mikey. Yeah, but I I just mean in a writing sense, he's the heart of the group, and that's why he's the one who has the line about them, like about the humans hating them rather than just fearing them. There's oh, a reason. Yeah. You have Mikey say that line because that's the one that tugs on your heartstrings the most because he's the one who's the most innocent and jovial. Yeah, he. he I mean, they're all theoretically the same age, but he definitely feels the youngest. Yeah, he yeah, feels yeah. the most innocent. So that, that's yeah. why you do that from a writing perspective, and that makes sense. But I'm just saying, I want him to be able to overcome his innocence, his jovialness, sure. and like have that serious moment. I feel like they almost got there in Turtles Three. Hmm. They they nearly had that moment, but it was just it wasn't the fight scene. It was the moral choice at the end, and it, they we talked about it then. They kind of flubbed it a little bit, but I I kind of wanted that here, maybe not even here, but just I didn't want Mikey to be the one to be rescued from Krang, and that's what brought the other three to do a badass moment. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough, but I. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, meanwhile, yeah. uh, you know, because the human characters effectively are together and are driving around and they're going to try and stop Baxter in the portal device. Yeah. Uh, although Baxter's kind of just gone once Shredder tells him yeah, to piss they, off. <laughs> they say we're going to stop Baxter not knowing that he's already gone yeah. to Tokyo. So It's actually uh, Kiri uh, or mm. Karai or whatever her name Ka- is. I have it. Ka- Karai. Yeah. Karai. She, what's funny is that she doesn't know her master's been betrayed by Krang, but she's still defending the portal device. Yeah. It's kind of funny, actually. Uh, ultimately, Will Arnett and Megan Fox go to deal with her and obviously get their ass kicked, but Stephen mm-hmm. Amell's left to deal with the big bodyguards at the bottom of the building, which, of course, are Bebop and Rocksteady. So Casey yep. Jones on his own has to deal with these two hulking monsters. Uh, and he makes makeshift skates out of like, the bottom, like, the casters off of like a, a computer chair. And he tapes uh, yes. them to his shoes. I just, I don't, I get that they wanted to do the hockey thing. But like, it would have been so much more worthwhile for him to do the hockey thing and then pull back the mask. Like you said, the mask is more iconic than the wheels. Yes. Like, I don't care if, if he's actually I... on skates. In fact, I would argue that like, you don't even usually, it doesn't necessarily always have skates on. Like that sometimes he might do, but like, yeah. you know, the hockey stick and the mask are the, they're the signifiers. I, I really feel like 
they wanted to drive home the fact of this is not his identity. The fact that he uses mm-hmm. a hockey stick is not his identity. It is the fact of it's something he's good at. To pull from, I doubt you'd see this one coming, Jurassic Park 2, Jurassic World. <laughs> it's yes. the gymnastics thing. Okay. Where the kid, where it's like, this is a thing she does. And so she's able to use that in other situations. Mm-hmm. This is that same sort of thing where it's like, no, he's good at hockey. Watch him do the if, hockey stuff. If anything, the characteristic I have with Casey Jones is that, yeah, he obviously prefers hockey because that's always what he starts with. But he mm-hmm. likes to use different sports items as weapons. And that's yeah. something the original movie played with is that he uses a, a cricket bat and a baseball bat. And then later on, he finds like a golf club and he's like, oh, mm-hmm. golf. Oh, yeah, maybe maybe I could use this too. So like he sort of like doubts it for a second. And he goes, ah, you know what? I'll never, you know, say golf isn't a man's game ever again or something like that, he says. Um, yeah. And that running thing, you know, it's not much, but it is like a, a little character. Whereas that's all gone here where it's just, no, it's just hockey. He just, he just, he has a hockey stick. I, I wonder in the Turtles media landscape in between this movie and Turtles 1, how much flanderization of Casey there was mm. in that, you know, he's not a sports guy. He specifically is hockey. And maybe they just were leaning into that. The sad part of that is that I feel like because of, you know, because these are, I mean, not so much the Turtles themselves, but because they're mostly known for the cartoon i would say mm-hmm. that they're already kind of flanderized just in general in that because it's a cartoon and it's not as deep True. as you know something else but yeah the fact that even from that he's become more flanderized <laughs> into just mm-hmm. being hockey i mean i will say the 2003 cartoon that i believe was on nickelodeon that was one of the few times i did get even mild exposure to turtles and they were pretty serious up there they were turned into more not like not like Dark Knight levels of grittiness mm. or anything like that, but they were given darker storylines. They were given more mature storylines. So sure. it at least had been migrating since the 90s. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so he just ducks and dives on his skates because they're on like, mm. like ATVs or something like that and they're like driving around. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately he just sort of like makes them crash into like a, a shipping container and mm-hmm. throws in a grenade and closes the, the door. Which... To be clear, they had the grenades. He didn't just find the yes, grenades yes. sitting around. Uh, well, that, that's from the cartoon as well. As uh, I think it's Rocksteady has like a grenade belt on him or something. Okay. So uh, he throws the grenade in, shuts the door. You see the sort of the the explosion dent in the crate, and you just be here. They're okay because they say something to each other afterwards. <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> and then no, he, they 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 do the my man one more time. Yeah, and then he shows up to basically solve like the other problem with april and Vern anyway so yeah they were kind of useless to an extent uh but i mean the end of the movie is like they get keys to the city because that's what Vern got when he was supposed to be the the falcon Mm -hmm. right and can i just real quick on the in-between of those scenes yeah uh donnie the moment that the technodrome is about to like finish building they managed to use a drone to fly out the beacon that it's all like gathering around. Mm-hmm. And the goal is, is he says like, oh, we're going to take all of the pieces following the beacon back to their dimension. And then we're going to close the portal. But the moment this drone gets free of where the technodrome is building, Donnie tells them to close the portal. And I guess they're just lucky that it takes an extra five minutes because otherwise, ah, none true. of the pieces would have gone through. True, 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 true. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's what the humans are doing. They're, they're getting to the portal thing to to close the portal. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're giving keys to say, and there's a small ceremony where Laura Linney's there and presumably all the cops who like escorted them earlier because they all know who the turtles are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like, hey, you don't have to hide anymore. But the turtles say, no, like, we're not, we're, we're not normal. Normal's boring. We're weird and that. We're proud of that. And we're going to be yep. who we are. And the movie's final scene is them, and this also reminded me of Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2 specifically, <laughs> they're on top of the Statue of Liberty, just kind of celebrating, yep. and the camera pulls back, and that's your Turtles movie. Cue the so, theme song. Let me let me ask you a question yes. real quick. Uh, how many people can keep a secret? <laughs> it's pretty open, yeah, at this point. I mean, they do say, yeah. look, if you need us again, April can find us. Yeah. Right. I'm more concerned about the fact that the entire NYPD apparently knows, by the way, turtles have the key to the city. <laughs> like, it's... it's The answer is if the number of people that can keep a secret is one. As soon as anybody else knows, it's no longer a secret. As soon as the NYPD knows, you may as well just publish it online. Because it's not going to... Just give, give April the byline of her life and just <laughs> move on. Yeah, I mean, to to be fair, it's called Out of the Shadows. The film's main story mm-hmm. and theme goes along with that title. Uh, the turtles actually have an arc. There is conflict within them about that arc, and it does resolve. There is yep. basic principles that it adheres to, uh, and therefore it is easily the better movie compared to the last one. Absolutely. But I wouldn't say it's good just because it's wrapped up still in a lot of other things. Like, you know, the ugly CG, the Mm. design of some of the characters. Some of the the newer ones are fine, but the the turtles themselves, not so much. Um, Overstuffed with characters is a problem. Some of the I do think they did a good job of balancing it, though. They all the characters they introduced, I felt got pretty equal exposure. Mm, Okay, okay. Maybe, you know, too much uh, just CGI vomit in the sense that the action scenes are a bit too over the top. They're, they're just, these, yeah. It's like oh, falling from the sky and a plane into a river and then a big chase with a tank. And st- it's like, yeah. they're ninjas. Can we have some ninja scenes, please? <laughs> like, there is. I don't think there's actually a scene in this movie where they are stealthy. There's no point. Like we, yeah. show, we show all the scenes where they fail at being stealthy, such as when... Uh, they drop the pizza onto the court, and then they interrupt. That was one moment we didn't mention. Splinter was about two seconds away from reaching Nirvana in meditation. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then they just come in and, like, knock him off his game. Yep, yep. Uh, so, with all those things considered, like, I, I don't necessarily think you can call it good, but I do think it is far more in the, you know, because I, I went as, what did I, I gave the last one, like, a three. Uh, th- yep. This is far more into the middle territory of like actually being serviceable in some basic ways that gets it to uh, a more reasonable score in the middle. But yeah, um, definitely. But I-, I wouldn't say good. I wouldn't say that I have a desire to really watch it again. And I say that as someone who is a fan of the property because I like Turtles and I grew up with them. But Fair. definitely better than the last one. Um, bar was low, admittedly. <laughs> bar was very low. Yeah. I mean, for me, it is an issue. I'm not connected to Turtles. So the first ones didn't really hold any sort of special place in my heart. They didn't blow me away. They didn't nostalgia bomb me. It was just, okay, these are some movies. And while I can appreciate the fact that they used actual animatronics and puppets rather Mm. than just CGI, because God, I can only imagine what that would have looked like back then. (laughs) It is... 
Well, it is still. Earlier, we brought up the Power Rangers movie from 1995. You want to see CGI that will make your eyes bleed? Go back and watch yeah. the last act of that movie because oh, I, 1995 CG. That was Ivan oh. Ooze. And oh, and no. the Megazord, which looks and the Megazord. Okay, oh. yeah, we don't need that. But um, no, I think that these two movies, the first one, as we stated for like well over an hour, is not great. It's it's just a generic film. This one, I don't know. It feels like it was made by a Turtles fan. It felt like. Hey, we're gonna throw together all the things that I remember, all the things that I want to see. Here's what I did at that point: is that I think it mm-hmm. does feel like it's made by a turtles fan, but I would be more specific and say it feels like it was made by a turtles fan trying to fix what was wrong about the previous one, but can only yeah. do so much without being allowed to scrap and change things like the turtle design. They weren't allowed to do that. They had to keep yeah. it in continuity. They had to make it a sequel to the last one, but they're trying to fix as much as possible. And that's something that I think we see from time to time. And we see, like, movies that aren't that good, but get a sequel. And someone who actually cares tries to, like, steady the ship. So that's, you know, tr- tries right. to write the ship. And fundamentally, because it's coming from a starting point that wasn't very good, there's maybe some franchises that can, it can be corrected and it doesn't matter that they started off in a bad place. I think it's mm-hmm. something we have seen repeatedly being promised for DC Comics movies and, like, try <laughs> to steal the ship after Batman v Superman. After Justice League. You know, hey, it's, and, it's okay. James Gunn's finally going to get it right. <laughs> Guaranteed. And maybe he will. But honestly, the biggest part of the announcements from James Gunn and DC Comics movies, which tells you when we're recording this, because it happened just like yesterday, is yep. <laughs> the, the biggest disappointment about all that. And I'm cautiously optimistic about some of it, don't get me wrong. But the mm-hmm. fact that it sounds like they're trying to kind of like tailor it on to the movies that are already coming out didn't sort of say that oh maybe like the flash movie is going to like create the new universe and some yeah. some actors might come back is the biggest no start from just scrap it all start fresh because none of it's worth see, keeping see here's the thing with the advent of spider-man no way home you can oh. never start fresh everything has always mattered and you will always have to care oh, about honestly it. no way home may honestly create a new problem where everything's a goddamn multiverse and i have no problem because i no way home and everything everywhere all at once were relatively close together in the grand scheme mm-hmm. of things and yeah. i i have no problem with everything everywhere all at once is a really good movie and i think that's mm-hmm. fine because it's a movie about a multiverse that's the entire point of the movie but this use of a multiverse just to justify you know bringing in past actors for nostalgia pop it's, it's just another version of cheap nostalgia pops and i am against it and do not do it (laughs) well you're really going to hate the next 10 years (laughs) i know i know marvel's going to do secret wars and i'm going to be just like like i mean i'm already out in marvel movies at this point to be honest yeah i'm going to be really livid by that point anyway anyway all, all to say is that yeah it feels like someone's trying to fix and course correct and you know there there is an element of success not enough that i think it turns it into a good movie i mean but just to specifically say the ending theme over the credits they use the the original like turtles theme song from the cartoon and then throw in a little bit of ninja rap in the middle for good measure that's just a fan there's nobody who would ever do that besides a fan yeah there's there's clearly at least a little bit more actual fan love behind this one um doesn't solve all the problems, but it definitely is better than the first one. Um, and if you wanted to argue 
me that this is better than like Turtles Three. I mean, I I, I don't know if I could I could really fight you. Like, I mean, should I go to my ratings? Should I tell you where you I fall in You might even like line? it more than Secret of the Ooze. Can I go to my ratings? <laughs> <laughs> if you tell me you like it more than the original 1990 film, though, I, I cannot get on board with that. I will slap you. <laughs> I'm several thousand miles away. I feel pretty safe with what I have to say. Planes exist. As does my address being private, hopefully. <laughs> oh, I've, I've, got, I've got sources. All right. So for my rating on this out of 10, and I'm speaking solely on quality, not nostalgia, not anything like that. I'm mm-hmm. just trying to keep it quality wise. I'd give this one a 6.5, which for anyone keeping score is point and a half above the last movie, but more specifically, half a point above the two movies before that. It is still technically below the very first movie, but I think that this one actually... It has such a turtle-centric story. It is made by a fan. It plays with all the toys, I feel like, in a useful way rather than just throwing it out there and saying, buy our crap. I think that it is a nice, solid story being told at the center of it. Yes, it does have its problems. I do have an issue with the fact that it is basically just animated by the end, but it is, I think, a good Turtles movie that can be added to the general canon of if you're looking for something that deals with the interplay of the turtles rather than just the turtles being around this is a good one yeah what's funny is that i have no problem with uh like so so my problems with the turtles in this are just leftover problems from the last one which is how they look and how some of them sound right right uh mm-hmm. that's just the last movie bleeding into this one there's nothing they could really do without without just making drastic changes that would have been jarring and i get why they didn't do that they're not gonna remake those assets for a nickelodeon movie so like that's that's you know i'm not gonna necessarily hold that against it too much um i i would say that this is better and i would say that it's just maybe got too many annoying things that are nothing to do with turtles themselves it's just like you know the convoluted deaths have megan fox be sexy for a scene that's just nothing but bait for the audience it's maybe being a bit overstuffed it's the big grandiose action scenes with some you know generic elements like the vortex in the sky and maybe mm-hmm. uh, uh, i mean you're saying i oh, but it's you know krang's coming from a different dimension you have to have a vortex and i'm like yeah no <laughs> you do like th- there's some truth to that um but but does it need to be in the sky over new york and colored blue no it doesn't those, all those things could be chosen differently uh, especially mm-hmm. since in the cartoon the, the technodrome was always moving through like, underground like it was an underground thing so yeah the sky's literally the opposite of that <laughs> <laughs> literally the opposite um so what's just to say that i may have been tempted to go with a six which is not too far off your score i am going mm-hmm. to dock it down to 5.5 though just for things like the megan fox sexy schoolgirl scene and okay. other moments like that that just just annoying movie things that are still kind of left over from this is produced by michael bay you know just those that- little aesthetic things and like stupid bits of humor that feel a bit childish and not in a way that like works with the turtles just in a general sense so yeah. I, I i completely agree this movie has moments that are so frustrating but i think that those moments are fleeting enough that i'm able to forgive it on the whole there's definitely less of them like it is definitely mm-hmm. not as bad with that stuff that the last one was but there are still parts of it there um and you know things just like you know casey and april like 
So, uh, do you want to come to my hockey game on Saturday and see me play? And she's like, see you play? I can take you one-on-one. Smile. That's the romance. <laughs> Somehow I already forgot that line and, like, the girl boss attitude that went with it, but, oh, like, yeah. Yes. Uh, so just, you know... Just things like that. Just sort of drag it down. Yeah, uh, that's fair. Aside from the looking sounds of the turtles, which I still I'm not a fan of. But uh, that's fair. But five point five. Uh, that's a big step up from a three. <laughs> yeah, for sure. However, big question is: uh-huh. Are we cutting it from the collection? I will. So our levels are, of course, a cut above makes mm-hmm. the cut, cutting it close. Uh. Just cut from the collection. Cut from the collection. Cut your losses. Cut your losses. Uh, and last one, I was I was a cut your losses. Uh, yep, we agreed on that pretty. Did last pretty time. Hard. So I think it's a it's a rung above that. I think it's cut from the collection, but I not not in a harsh like cut your losses way. See, I would actually put it at the one above that. I'd put it at it just cuts it close. I think that it is just barely there. Are you able to give it all mm. on that? <sighs> I don't. I wouldn't want. It's a weird thing as well because a sequel to a movie that I would say cut your losses on. So I'm like, is, yeah. it, is it good enough to just have the second one? Okay, but if you're phrasing it that way, once we cut out the first of any franchise, then all <laughs> subsequent ones would have to be cut. Well, no, not necessarily because some of them do work standalone, right? This is Fair. still very much a sequel. And when uh, we eventually get to Fast and the Furious, if we cut Fast and Furious two, do all subsequent Fast movies get cut? No, because it becomes a new franchise with the fifth one. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> it basically shifts into a whole different genre. <laughs> All I'm saying here is that I think from a Turtles fan perspective, I think that it does a good enough job with Bebop, Rocksteady, Krang, even Shredder. I think it does a good enough job to earn its place in a Turtles fan's collection. Barely. Not, not a steady pace, but it does manage to squeeze in. So you want to go cutting it close? I want to go cutting it close. I think my problem with this is that cutting it close is saying that it's in the collection. I think cutting it close should be either or. Like, cutting it close is saying it's on the line, and it's kind of up to interpretation of the audience. Okay. It can, if we want to redefine it as that, we're still technically in the like Every time years. we talk about cutting it close, you're saying it's cutting it close in there, but it just makes it in. And I'm like, no, no, no. Cutting it close should be, it's like, it's up for interpretation. Cutting- if we want to redefine it as cutting it close as use your own judgment here, yes. I'm good with that. I, I, I will agree with cutting it close on that's how we're defining cutting it close. All right, so it's in the collection. <laughs> no, piss off. <laughs> piss off. You son of a bitch. All right. Um, I did not see this review going longer on the last one, but somehow... We it's got longer all... than the movie. Well, I don't know. Sometimes it's just fun conversation to be had, yeah. right? You know, and, mm-hmm. you know, we, we talked about uh, all sorts of things uh, yep. in this. So, and most of it was still pretty relevant. So I'm I'm happy yeah. enough. But uh, sure. that, that is uh, <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Uh, as we mentioned already, the bonus episode for this theme for the month was the Batman Ninja Turtles animated movie from 2019. Uh, also, our Extra Reels episode, which is the, the $5 tier on Patreon, also got uh, Deadly Prey, which is a dumb 80s action movie from 1987. Uh, that was the second episode of that, so you get that every month at the $5 tier. Uh, yep. So I'm mentioning those because if you want to support all the content, you can go to patreon.com slash TV and support us and get some bonus goodies, as well as bonuses for other shows like The Ace and Screams After Midnight. 
So go and have mm-hmm. a look, see if you're interested. Uh, or you can just do a one-time thing on YouTube with a with a super thanks, uh, or become a member on YouTube and get some of the perks as well. Not all of them, but you get some of them. Uh, mm-hmm. So go and have a look at all that stuff. You can like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications, all that stuff. All of it helps us out. And of course, this is the end of this current theme. We, we're not done with Turtles for the Year completely. We have the CGI movie and the new movie coming out, which we'll do back-to-back, uh, which I think yep. is August, I want to say. Roundabout. Um, so we'll do that then. But we are for now moving on to a new theme. So next week, we will join you for one John Wick. And we will be working through the John Wick movies, of course, culminating in the new one coming out, not John Wick 4, uh, at the end, end of the March. month. Yeah, so yeah. that is the plan. We will see you for that. Uh, but, you know, rate the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. That also helps us out a bunch. But that is the show. I will thank our... Oh, I'm hitting my nose on the, on the pop shield. Um, I will <laughs> thank our uh, Patreon producers for the month. So thank you very much to Tyler Hess, Sandy Palacios, Board Now, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Al Treisman. Uh, and to all everyone who supports us in any way, we do appreciate it. But that's been the show. That is the end of our fourth theme. Yes. We are moving on to number five. Man, special. Feels like we're, we're deep in the, in the trenches now. We're officially veterans. Doesn't feel like a new show anymore. It just feels like, no, nah, this is just a show. This is just part of the, the program and the schedule. I mean, you say that. I'm still coming on here like, oh gosh, I hope they like me. <laughs> Don't worry, you're not supposed to like you. You're maybe the counterpoint to me. Right, sorry. I'm going to go dye my hair red. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Thanks for, thank you very much for joining us, everyone. <laughs> this has been Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. Keep watching movies. And, uh... We've got a garbage truck. I mean, turtle power. Turtle power is what I meant to say. Turtle power.